Welcome to episode five of uh, Sunglasses at Night. <laughs> Not bothering to Time come up with a fake. Taking its toll. Yeah, goodness, fake. I, I sort of looked through the song titles and went, I couldn't couldn't come up with a, a classic, catchy, snappy fake song title like I could last sure. week with um. Can't even remember. That's, that's so that running thinking. jokes just paused with one foot in the air. Yeah, absolutely. To decide absolutely. whether it'll continue to run. For sure. Anyway, look, 87, uh, one of the best years of the 80s. I think that goes without saying. Um, we're going to talk, you're going to talk to us about films later, Tom, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think it's in reference to some of our movie songs coming up, so good, you good. get an idea of what was coming out. Because we figure that, um, you know, this sort of in a vacuum, it means nothing. The top songs of the year means nothing without a bit of context, a bit of what are the other films that Mm, happened in the mm. year, what's happening in current events, what other entertainment is there around, you know. But we were too lazy to look any of that up, so... No, exactly, in previous (laughs) weeks, but we're going to do that from now on. So, look, it's going to be big, it's going to be good, it's going to really add some, some texture and character to this podcast, so you can look at it, and I think as we mentioned last week, you can look at it and say, yeah... These songs are all shitty, but that's fine because people, you know, they were at the movies that year. Yes. Just wall-to-wall great <laughs> films. They didn't care about music, which is why, um, you know, Australiana went to number one mm, or something like that. Explains Live Aid as well. It, uh, exactly right, exactly. So anyway, so let's get into it. Um, 87, the first five weeks, Pseudo Echo Funky Town. Did people learn nothing from 1986? I know, seven flipping weeks. The yeah. only thing I was thinking about later, the only thing I could think of to explain this is to possibly people who are a bit younger is that this was still in the days of the old monoculture. So really these charts were pretty singular. Like they might have had, you know, variations like country and western or whatever, but generally speaking, this is everything that's packed together. So these charts aren't just what suburban dads are buying or what teenage girls are buying. It's also what people were listening to when they go out to the nightclub Friday night hit up regimes for some breezes, which hadn't been invented. <laughs> West Coast Coolers, which were the breezes of 87. Absolutely. Look them up. In fact, you don't need to. You can still buy them. You can still buy West Coast Coolers. Every bit as good as they ever were. Yep. And yeah, so probably, you know, friggin' three months of Funky Town just means that they were playing at every nightclub in town and people were waking up on Saturday morning after Rager, Absolutely. as they were called then, and going, where could I get that single of that song about that town that was... Very funky. Brushes is the answer now. In fact, the, didn't I hear that song three years ago? Ah, oh, I must be hungover. It's fine. It, it was probably yes. You did hear it three years ago because this is a cover three years on, which is what you should do. Sure. I can't wait until people start covering songs three days after one goes to number oh, one. Oh, we are not secret. very far away. Certainly Absolutely, dance remixes. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's hit the turnaround. Let's oh, the, let's hit the turnaround. The roundabout we, and put Funky Town behind well, us. Before we do, real quick, I'm just glad that you referenced West Coast Coolers, Tom. They <laughs> pack a, did they pack a mean 3% alcohol or were they a bit, were they sub 3? <laughs> sort of a 2.5er. Well, if they were 
were low, I hoped that they were low because they were, I think that was the first alcoholic drink I ever had at the age of about 10. So hopefully they weren't too strong. Look, I think the beauty of West Coast Cooler was that you could go to Regimes, you could drink six of these and still drive home. I think that was sort of what made them so appealing. In the 80s, you certainly had, I think the blood alcohol limit then was 0.3. So yeah, yeah. you're probably right for a good 16 or 17 WCCs, as we didn't call them. Uh, (laughs) 3.5%, I believe. Um, Look, I saw my mum on the West Coast Coolers one night, Tom, and she went to throw some keys to my dad (laughs) and accidentally threw them over her head straight into the Tamer River. So um, that was a bit of a nightmare. Um, Sunk straight to the bottom. That's a murky river. It's hard to get anything out of the Tamer. So if they were her car keys, then, you know, hopefully... Well, we had a spare set at home, oh, so I okay. had to go home and get those. But it was good times. Um, and Regine's as well. You've referenced that. <laughs> For those that don't know, that is um, the Rest Point Casino's hottest, be it only, nightclub. So probably one of the best casino nightclubs in Australia. It's shut now, but I'm talking historically. So I've not been to any of the nightclubs at Crown Casino, but I can only imagine it's you know a shade of what Regine's was. So. Sure. Red Hot, Red Hot. Get there if you can. The only casino nightclub, wouldn't it, to start with? Because that was the first casino in Australia. That was Australia's first casino, Rest Point. I'm sure Regine's opened up. Everyone went, whoa, what is this? Would have been, mines would have been blown. It would have been West Coast cooler all over the walls. Absolutely. It's the archetype of, uh, you know, nightclubs at casinos. (laughs) So I think everybody says, what did Regine's do? Let's try and do that and improve on it. So... Great place. Um, next time you're in Hobart, go to Rest Point Casino. They're not a sponsor of this show, but I am just sort of letting you know that you probably should go. Gamble some money, ask them where Regine's used to be, and just go and check it out. Maybe they'll let you in. Maybe the dance floor's still there. Maybe the <laughs> stage. Have a bit of a look and, you know, step back in time. So enjoy that. Uh, after this, the Bangles walk like an Egyptian. Sure. The first new song of the year. Um... Raises a lot of questions. How does one walk like an Egyptian? Well, according to the video, or one of the two videos for this, it's kind of like a dickhead or a reasonably <laughs> yes. attractive young woman wearing not a lot of mm-hmm. clothes. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a weird, there's a sort of fairly, I'm guessing there, there were one came first and the other one came later. There's a fairly boring kind of live performance one. Then there's a better one with all the dancing and stuff. Yep. A lot of high quality, I feel like Chicken Tonight style embarrassing street footage of just random people who've clearly been asked, could you just dance with your hands doing that weird thing, like a hieroglyph sort of? And yeah, that one is on YouTube. I'm assuming that's because it was banned for featuring Princess Di and Gaddafi dancing (laughs) like an Egyptian. (laughs) Sounds like it's aged well. High-end 1987 CGI effects, uh, which still look good today. Was Gaddafi able to dance like, walk like an Egyptian? Sorry, was he able to do that? Was he able to (laughs) Neither of of them, unfortunately, the limitations of the effects did not allow for them to walk, but it did allow for South Park-style cutouts of their arms to move. Good, good, good. If you want to see the late Princess Diana doing that, then this is your video. Oh, look, I do, I do. But more importantly, I want to see Colonel Gaddafi doing it, I think. So (laughs) he's a man that... um... Yeah, look, he did a lot of things in his life. R.I.P. Is that? Is that is... still very beloved figures. They are very beloved, very very beloved. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a great sort of trivia question if someone sort of like tell me a time when Colonel Gaddafi and Princess <laughs> Diane uh, were together, and you can say, well, it was the walk like an Egyptian video clip via the power of 1987 CGI. Mm. I guess not in real life. <laughs> um, look. Was there a lot of midriff tops in the 
video clip? Can you recall? There's a lot of uh, sort of gauzy kind of ha- harem pants type, yeah. you know. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. A lot of culturally sensitive headbands and yeah. that kind of thing. Do you think Cleopatra, would she have liked the video clip? Or do you think she would have been fucking livid just looking at this guy? I, reckon- I don't walk like that. I never walk <laughs> like that. Who, who knows? Perhaps they were all afflicted with some sort of spinal disorder that resulted in hieroglyphs. Yeah. You know, but... Oh, look, power to... I mean, it is a dance trend that never caught on. It is, it? yeah. You know? And is there anything sadder than someone that's <laughs> tried to sort of push a dance trend that hasn't taken off? Well, so. I have to say, I'd rather... Even in the, with benefit of hindsight, I'd take a catchy song with a dance trend that never caught on over, a, say, the Macarena, yep. which is a shit song with a shit dance that did catch on and is still danced at weddings by drunk middle-aged women. Yeah, absolutely. Every but year. Can you imagine if the Macarena didn't take off? How fucking embarrassing would it be to be one of the dudes involved? Like, at least now <laughs> you can say, True. that song sucks shit, the dance sucks oh, shit. It's God. like, yeah, but it caught on. It was, well, you know, a, a cultural a, phenomenon. You could do a whole other podcast about that, couldn't you? Like absolutely. dance, forgotten pop For songs that tried to start dances that no one ever actually did. <laughs> and that'll be a spin-off that Tom and I'll be watching <laughs> on at some stage in the future, so watch out for that. On where you get all your great, what do they say? You can download this where you get your you know, podcast, music. wherever you get your podcast oh, from, okay, whatever they yeah. say. So yeah, we'll be doing, yeah, we're not very good at the social media aspect of this, but obviously, um, yeah, watch out for any dance craze song, write it down and just see if it takes off because sure. it's just something for your own personal records to look back at and say, <laughs> you know, last catch up, the catch up song went very far, but not all of them do. You'd feel like, yeah, I think those catch-up girls, they, they would feel that. like, if that didn't take off, you'd be like, what, were you one of those fucking cat? You'd be like, yeah, fucking hell, how embarrassing. But, you know, maybe they don't have to work anymore off the back mm, of that catch-up. That's why the crazy song. frog turned to drugs, I think, ultimately, oh, you know. Absolutely crazy He was riding frog. a high wave, but he just couldn't. It was a high wire it. act that he couldn't, you know, stay on forever, mm. I think, the crazy frog. It was, Constantly you know, exposing himself to children didn't help either. Oh, jeez. where the the start of the downhill yeah I think if you're going to do a 3D animated frog <laughs> do you need to put a penis on there I don't fucking think you do <laughs> but look the people do. behind Crazy Frog thought that you did but look sold a lot of phone ringtones so well speaking of silly things this sold a million copies yeah. uh, it was number one in the USA and unfortunately apparently led to the beginning and the end for the band mm. originally the drummer Debbie Pearson sang the whole thing then the producers decided they wanted to put it out it's not written by them but they liked yep. her sort of off key vocal style and not off key, off hand sort of, which is kind of a part of the appeal of the actual final song. But then the producers wanted everyone to sing one verse. There are four women in the band and there are only three verses. So someone had to lose out, which ended up being Debbie Peterson. And then they decided that seeing it was 1987, they should use drum machines instead of a drummer. So she got kicked out of that as well. And then she still had to do the stupid dancing in the video. So you know, I can understand why that may have caused perhaps the beginning of the end oh, for the Bengals. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like having your, obviously the verse that your son cut out, but then also when you're the drummer <laughs> and they're like, yeah, bro, I think we're going to use a drum machine. It's like, you know, what the fuck? I mean... But it's also 1987, so they may have even said to her, like, look, 
you may need to reconsider your career because, <laughs> frankly, we're never going to need a real drum ever again. We've yeah. invented this machine that's essentially made you superfluous. In fact, Absolutely. there's a new thing coming out called the synthesizer, so we're not even going to need musicians anymore. No. You're all fired. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, we didn't. I sort of haven't talked about this in previous weeks, but sort of in the early '80s, I think around '82, the Lin drum was invented, Tom, which was like um, uh, yeah. I think prior to that, a lot of drum machines had just sort of some dude had tried to like create what they think a drum would sound like using whatever digital shit that you yep. do. I don't know a lot about technology, but um, the Lin drum actually sampled actual drums. Yep. So I think from sort of that '82 on, for pretty much the rest of the '80s. Um, Every song almost had probably the same drum sound because this became very popular, obviously. People were saying, oh, I can buy this machine, pump out sort of the drums using this sample drums that sound pretty realistic. Uh, and then drummers everywhere were, you know, working at KFC, I gather, <laughs> yeah. or whatever, just going, I'm out of a job. It's but. a bit sad, isn't it? It's one of the most dated parts about the entire 80s is that particular drum sound. It immediately isolates a song to that era pretty for much sure. straight away. But For sure, for sure. Look, now... This song, it's sort of funny because I often think about where inspiration strikes for various songs, where it comes from. With this one, I just sort of thought perhaps, you know, someone, not, you know, the Bangles didn't write this, but perhaps the songwriter travelled to Egypt, maybe they'd checked out the pyramids, the Sphinx, maybe they'd gone to a market, all of those things, enjoyed, you know, Egypt, maybe they'd read a good book about Egypt, seen a film, you know, set in Egypt, something about that. But apparently the songwriter Liam Sternberg got the idea when he was on a ferry boat and saw people struggling to keep their balance. And just they held their arms out and sort of jerked them around to keep, you know, balance on this <laughs> sure. moving boat and just went, ah, they're, they're walking like an Egyptian. <laughs> Inspiration can really hit from anywhere, can't it, Tom? It really can. I mean, there's nothing more Middle Eastern than trying to, you know, get your sea legs while carrying your white person luggage onto a boat. Absolutely, absolutely. So look, who the fuck knows what he was thinking, but he saw people not being able to stand up straight in a boat, pen this song, uh, number one hit. And the Bangles, they're a bit of a hit factory, apart from this. Yeah, sure. Uh, Manic Monday, uh, which is a Prince-written song we've learnt previously. Hazy Shade of Winter, um, Simon and Garfunkel, so another cover yep. uh, from the film Less Than Zero. It's a fun cover, that one. It is. It's, yeah. Uh, and Eternal Flame. Which is another great song. Nice. So they've got some wall-to-wall hits there. Um, and yeah, look, uh, one thing that pisses me off about this song, though, there's, there's a, a classic whistling section. <laughs> Not a lot of songs have a whistling section. This one does. The whistling, it's done by a machine. Uh, see, another casualty of the, you know... The future of machines taking over music. <laughs> Absolutely. Previously, you know, either one of the bangles would have done that, perhaps a professional whistler would have been called into the studio to sort of say, can you do a whistling <laughs> part? I heard you do a whistle on, um, you know, some other tracks. Uh, Winds of Change, actually, that's after this song. There's other great whistling songs. I can't so remember. many. I mean, so many great countless. whistling songs. But they just went, we're going to get a machine to do the whistling. Oh, fuck that. I don't know whether I can listen to this song again, knowing that... It really is a big part of the song. It's weird. The the same thing happens in another song later on, uh, which I will get to, but yeah, it's strange. It's the the first memorable thing. I think sometimes you get that weird kind of... um, Well, now they call it Uncanny Valley. That's to do with appearances. But when you hear an instrument in a song that is... It reminds you of something, but is not yeah. audibly not that thing, and it really sticks in your head because it just sounds so odd. It's like someone's invented a new instrument. Absolutely, you know? but yeah, 
No, I, I know. Um, look, it is pretty weird. I don't really know. <sighs> Maybe just no one in the band could whistle and no one in the studio would <laughs> Let's just use that computer to do it. So um, what about the lyrics of this? Um, well, given the sort of the subject matter, it's not as cancelable as you might think. No. It doesn't even really stereotype Egyptians particularly other than saying that they used to be shit at dancing, you know, 2,000 years ago. But yeah, I mean, on the other hand... You could say that this is part of a new musical category, uh, not a new one, but like that was, you know, it was starting to be more and more common in this year, which is songs that are about a dance, but that are fucking terrible at explaining how to actually do the dance. So like, forget that you're watching the video or if you've seen it or whatever, forget hieroglyphs yep. and try to imagine if somebody described this dance to you, try to imagine then just going into a nightclub and trying to do this dance, right? Slide your feet up the street. Bend your back, shift your arm, then you pull it back. Life is hard, you know, mm. so strike a pose on a Cadillac. Yeah, it makes no sense. That's the <laughs> full instructions. There's no other additional instructions as to how to do the dance. I don't understand one fucking word of that. <laughs> I can't make heads nor tails just, of what they're talking about. I'm sorry, about. but it just makes me imagine the episode of Seinfeld when Kramer turns into a pimp. And he, gets the, he buys that giant coat and that gets the car by accident with says ass man on the number plate. Absolutely. And then he starts limping down the street. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Anyway, yeah, look, the lyrics. Other than that, it's, yeah. it's catchy. Oh, what can I say? You know, and they didn't write the lyrics, so. No, look, yeah. I think it's pretty good. And I think you're right, Tom. Whenever you say something like walk like an Egyptian and have that as the song, you know, you can get into dangerous territory of using some sort of terrible cliches in the lyrics, using some sort of Egyptian sounding instruments in a sort of an insensitive way. But they've avoided all of that. Um, yeah. you know, they pissed off Cleopatra, probably, but she's in the ground. So, so. fuck her. Everything's good. Um, look, yeah, catchy. Best song so far this year. Sure. Um, better than Funky Town. That Who's next? Um, real quick, 4.1 mil oh, on yes. Spotify. Yep. Wow, um, that's pretty impressive. Pretty good. They, they do have those hits, hits. Yeah, yeah, for sure. True. And 61 cents on the Discogs, cheapest one. Um, that's a pretty sweet deal. I'd pick that up for a loved one come yeah. uh, Christmas 2021. So there you go. It's a lot more than Samantha Fox. Two cents, exactly, exactly. Is it 30 times better? <laughs> I don't know. You be the judge at home. Um, 16th of Feb Kim Wilde you keep me hanging on okay hanging on yep hanging sorry with it yeah the G is missing so <laughs> there you go cover of uh, the Supremes that is correct that is correct um, cover's always better than the original as we've said so we brought this she's she's taken the bones of that Supreme song brought it into the 80s um, with some great instrumentation of the era. Mm. Um, I think there's some sort of like fake horn section that someone's done on a keyboard, which sounds great. Everything about this is uh, pretty powerful. Um, but the video, it's kind of creepy. Mm, it is a bit. Yeah, look, I don't know, sort of dark, shadowy. There's a weird, she's on a bed. There's a weird dude sort of looking through the light. It just, it looked, it's sinister. I don't know. Get bad vibes off this. Yeah. It doesn't really suit the song, frankly. No. no I mean, no. the lyrics aren't great, like sexual politics wise, but it's not about stalking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of, there's a bit of a low production value as well, Tom. It's oh sort of... yes. This is definitely the whole video filmed in a garden shed with a smoke yeah. machine and a fan. Like this, you could do that in the eighties. You just need an abandoned public toilet, one blue light bulb, vacuum cleaner set on blow, everybody chain smokes, and you, there's your video. You just make sure the singer's got their face pointed at the vacuum cleaner, and you know, and that's and if Davo, you know, the guy who's got a fifty yard restraining order shows up, 
you know, and he's just loitering in the doorway. You put the light behind him, then yeah, you've got your silhouette, you know. Absolutely. (laughs) Hang around for a couple of takes and then call the police. Look, it's definitely a creepy video. um, But look, I guess it went to number one, so obviously it didn't hamper the power of the song. They both did. Both subversions of this song, 20 years apart, were number ones, not just in Australia, but the USA as well. There you go. So the Supremes. If anyone out there wants to reform a band and needs an instant hit, yeah, I'll be doing Any it. Thoughts? Any thoughts? Oh, look, I'll revive one of my old bands, Tom, probably, so the Art of Seduction, I can get them involved and sort of say, look, let's just do a cover of You Keep Me Hanging On. Um, what about Bonus Storm? Bonus Storm, yeah. Um, John Bon Jovi, my rap pseudonym, I might just add. You know, I think if I took this into the modern era, um, just did it as Kim Wilde did it, but then added a rap verse towards sure. the end. Well, I've already taken good. the G off the end of Hanging, oh, so they're have. halfway there Absolutely. to being a rap song. Add a, add a rap verse to this, I think it should be huge. 87, so yeah, we're sort of 30, 35 years on by now so it's due due for another yeah, cover I definitely. think so I'll probably add 180 BPMs into it as well and some auto-tune just so that the kids are into it um, look pretty good Kim Wilde she didn't have she obviously had Kids of America yep big hit great song uh, this one and then you might say well she didn't have many other hits after that but the reason for that is that she gave up pop music to present a gardening show <laughs> which I think is probably the right move because she'd reached the zenith of her career so you know you keep me hanging on you got a Supremes cover at number one there's nowhere else to go <laughs> after that as far as I'm That's concerned true, you know. So at least you, she went out with a certain amount of dignity you know absolutely right I've not seen the gardening show I'm sure it's pretty good I'm sure she grows all the you know the current fruits and vegetables that people like like etc etc um so check that out if you like gardening oh, and you like this song definitely will absolutely so i hope the name of it is a pun on kim wild oh jeez i hope growing so. wild perhaps oh, if it's not growing wild then <laughs> wild the, and reckless uh, was, uh, oh sorry that was richard wild <laughs> original band name <laughs> shout out to uh richard wilkins if you're listening we know you're a big fan of the show um should have stuck with richard wild though that is a great That's great true. great same name. as russell Clore. if only you'd stuck with russell rock russell rock stayed yeah. in new zealand oh for sure for the world sure would be a different place Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, Rustler Rock is a very That's good... That's R-O-Q. Yeah, very one. good pseudonym. <laughs> um, he should have taken that into the movies, I think. So, Definitely. Unfortunately, it would have only been cast in Michael Myers' uh, comedies. <laughs> Mike yeah. Would he have Sorry, won an Academy Michael Award? Wouldn't he, would he, do you think he would have won an Academy Award um, for Gladiator if he had a stuck with Rustler Rock? No, but he definitely would have showed up in The Love Guru... Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. That's a very fine film. If you're a Mike Myers fan and you've not seen it, check it out. Um, 2.1 mil. That's which is pretty good. I think it's pretty good. I think it's a little bit more than I thought. I think thought. she was a lot bigger in the UK than she was true. Uh, in That's the true. US. I think Kids in America was her biggest hit yeah. in the US, but she kept going in the UK for quite a while. Yeah. I think. Both her parents were older musos. Her dad was like a 50s rock Yep, guitar guy and her mum was a singer and dancer so she came from like that yeah that okay stuff. and look maybe people will watch the gardening show and <laughs> she sort of reference oh you know you keep me hanging people what the fuck she talking about and then they go on to Spotify and check her out on there so it's good um, seven cents that's fairly cheap it's fairly cheap <laughs> is it what Not it's worth people hanging on for that no I don't really think so um so that's that. Next week we had the Bangles back again for Walk Like an Egyptian for another week. Then sure. Kim Wilde back again for one more week of keep yeah. you keep hanging on. It was really the sort of Bangles Kim Wilde sort of battle battle. It's you know it's sort of like an Oasis sure. Blur type sort of battle. Lyrics wise, the Walk Like an Egyptian definitely wins. It's got fun, quirky 
80s lyrics, whereas you can very much tell that You Keep Me Hanging On was written by three dudes in 1966. It's definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not, it hasn't held up well. I'll remarkably like another song on this list. The entire theme of the song is just that the woman has zero agency and just, you know... You, you know you say although we broke up you still want to be friends but how can we still be friends when seeing you only breaks my heart again mm. very relatable and the next line is and there ain't nothing I can do about it you know well you could tell him to fuck off and go and annoy Darlene <laughs> certainly wants to bang her so much you know but yeah it was 1966 you know, yeah seeing you only breaks my heart again there's nothing I could do about it just not see that person anymore it's yeah as probably as that. just block him Oh, there were less people around in that day, Tom, so perhaps he's just sort of like, there's only six guys in this town. Um, those other five guys are total fuckwits. This is the only guy left, so I sort of just have to run with it. But look, move to a better town, that's all I'm saying. Um, okay, cool. All right, so, so moving on, 9th of March uh, for one week is Boris Gardner. Oh, I want to wake up with you. Now, who the fuck is this guy? I had to look it up, like that song a couple of years back. I thought I'd heard all of these, you know, yeah. but seriously, I had to Google it. Yeah, this guy um, is, is really an off-brand Billy Ocean, yes, I think. that's so. the first thing you see when you look at him. And then you think, well, perhaps I was mistaken. Perhaps I'm being racist. The fact that he just looks exactly like Billy Ocean, dresses like him and has the same haircut true. and sounds like him. And but he's I'm from, just drawing assumptions. True. But then you find out that he's from... From Jamaica as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, I mean... Poor man's Billy Ocean is not really a claim to fame that you want, no. I really think. But just when you sort of think, oh, well, look, it's relatively harmless. No one knows who he is. That's fine. Uh, the music video for this is effectively him stalking someone. And it's one <laughs> of the fucking creepiest music videos I think I've ever seen in the history of my life. It's no hyperbole. Creepy. Look, I guess, you know, if you've not seen this, check it out. Um, no, don't, because I don't want any money... <laughs> in any way going to this guy whatsoever. So it sort of starts off, he's sitting on his front porch, um, reading the newspaper, chick walks past and he just starts following her. Just sort of keeps his distance, just a bit behind us, sort of following it at what he thinks is a safe distance so not to get caught. But the whole thing was being filmed, so you were going to get caught. So he follows her to the Westbourne Park tube station uh, in London. Um, she jumps on the tube and he just waits outside the fucking tube station for hours mm. until she comes back. He's sort of thinking, she's left from this station, she's gone somewhere, she's going to come back, might be in four hours, might be in eight hours, might be in four... He's just there the whole fucking time, waiting out, being a weird creeper. Mm. Then he follows her to a park and starts throwing paper airplanes into a canal, which is a massive fucking red flag. If you see a dude throwing paper airplanes into a canal, just call the cops, because that is weird as all hell. And then, just to make matters worse, at the end of the video, it's now nighttime. So the video's sort of gone through an entire day of him mm -hmm. on his steps reading the newspaper, waiting outside the fucking tube station for eight hours till this chick comes back, follows her to her house. She's in the bedroom and he's like peering through the window and then the video clip just ends. Mm, nothing, now, nothing creepy about that. And it's, I want to wake up with you. <laughs> he's sort of talking about this fantasy of wanting... I tell you what, dude. You don't fucking stalk someone and then just hang outside their bedroom peering through the window. That's like, you're going to get in prison for that sort of shit. That is creepy as hell now. But I don't think in 87 it people was, just went, oh, it's fine. You it just was peer through someone. Yeah, so weird. And then the follow-up to this song is called You're Everything to Me. 
and he's down in Brighton doing exactly the same fucking thing. <laughs> he's been run out of London. People are like, this dude's a fucking sexual predator. Mm. Just stay away from him. He's like, oh shit, he's got what am I going to do? white van and <laughs> move to another town. Exactly. So he heads down to Brighton and just starts stalking another chick down there. It's, it's weird. So don't watch this on YouTube because I don't want him getting any royalty checks or he's just going to use that for gas money to go to another town in the UK. Hull, uh, I don't know. One of the other ones. <laughs> There's so many other towns there. Uh, Liverpool, that's Liverpool, one of them. Yeah. Well, he's going to go somewhere and just start stalking people. So don't support this guy. He's a fucking creeper. He should be in prison yeah, um, for life probably. And, and for this song the well. song sucks shit as well. So there you go. Not Got anything else to say, Tom? <laughs> Um, I was going to say, um, unusually for the 80s, uh, he's sporty, not a mullet, but a sort of mid-sized afro, uh, although the girl that he's, you know, following with night vision goggles, uh, she's got a giant mullet, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, they're both African-American, but despite that, I was going to ask you, well, first I was going to ask, I was going to have a little debate about whether, um, we would prefer to have an afro for a year or a mullet for a year. And then I realised that we both bald and we'd just happily have either of them if it meant that we would have hair again or I certainly would. Oh, look, yeah, I think I'd go the afro time, a tight sort of afro. But then again, having seen this video clip, I don't want anything to do with anything Boris Gardner's ever done in his <laughs> life. So I'd have to go the mullet, I think, like a Joe Dirt style, brutal sort of trailer park <laughs> mullet, I think is what I'd go, go for, sure. definitely. Um, yeah, look, 120,000 listeners on Spotify. Um, if you're one of those people... Just yeah, stop. Just fucking it. stop, Seriously. bro. Don't don't do it. And how listen, much? Listen to something else. This back. costs you two cents, and that's all it deserves. So two cents more than it needs. Seriously. Absolutely. Um, I think at two cents, I'm going to buy up as many as possible and just burn them. <laughs> just destroy them. Sort of like a massive pile. <laughs> pile them up in a town square and just set fire to them. So um, there's no bad connotation with burning large quantities no. of stuff in a town square, are there? <laughs> I hope not. Books, you know. Yeah. You could probably, make an exception. Probably burning book burning's probably frowned upon but I think um, burning seven inch singles of terrible songs from sexual predators is completely fine in the year 2020 <laughs> definitely we'll have to ring the cancel bell again oh yeah fuck this guy this sucks so one week fortunately if you bought this single back in 1987 you've basically subsidised a potential rapist so I hope <laughs> you feel good about yourself Jesus um, alright up next Tom so let's get rid of that <laughs> sure. George Michael and Aretha Franklin I knew you were waiting bracket for me in bracket now mm. would you describe this as a power duet I would and yep. I would also say having started doing this podcast like they really don't make these much anymore like it no. just, I just every year there's at least two or three of these big chart topping power duets or triplets or quadruplets or whatever they're called yep um and yeah like they just don't seem to do this stuff anymore it's sort of like a power ballad but it's more like it's like cross between a power ballad and an opportunity for two celebrities to rub up against each other and hope they get a bit of like in this case probably intergenerational fame seeing as um yep. aretha's got about 20 years on george at this point yeah. she's not old in this but yep. she definitely looks like she's dressed um to go to a church picnic yep and yeah, and George Absolutely. Michael is wearing a leather jacket, which somehow, at first I thought it was the same leather jacket from Faith, but then I realised <laughs> that by some 80s miracle, this is not only a leather jacket, but 
It also has a denim sleeves. Fuck yes. That's not he's not denim underneath it. They're part of the jacket. Yeah. It's also bedazzled on yeah. the back with rock and roll. And nice. there's also about forty six shots of him dancing, facing the wrong direction, doing the old you know, <laughs> who's, who's got two thumbs and he's sexually involved <laughs> with his own jacket. And uh, yeah. So I'm guessing he was pretty fucking happy with that. Oh look, yeah. it's such a sick look, I think, the leather jacket Just with as a side denim note, sleeves. I was yeah. going to ask, you know, if you'd been given a leather jacket with denim sleeves in nineteen eighty seven yeah. at your age, Nat, what would you reckon you would have got bedazzled onto the back of it? Eighty seven. Oh look, I probably would have got um Thunder in Your Heart or something <laughs> like that from the rad soundtrack that we talked about sure. last week something sure. like that probably but I mean there's a lot of act, you know so many options what would you have done Tom probably at that age maybe in 86 I probably would have got Inspector Gadget yep 87 probably Inspector Gadget sucks I reckon because <laughs> by that age you know at the age of at 9 I was already over fair Inspector enough yeah. that's okay it's I think that's the thing with Inspector Gadget you know you love it and then you quickly hate it very quickly I yeah. it's sort of you know that's how it sort of turns <laughs> now um, is it time for to remake that film <laughs> Inspector Gadget yeah I'm surprised it hasn't been done in fact I would 100% guarantee that it was on the drawing board and then something happened I yeah don't... absolutely look I think Matthew Broderick probably his finest role um, outside of well that's it I, mean, I don't think I've seen him he's, anything else he apart is from a true that. mystery in, he has so much charisma in Ferris Bueller's Day Off like to the yep. point where he pretty much carries the entire film yep on his own shoulders you know there's fun scenes and stuff and the other characters aren't bad but like he's pretty much him talking to the audience for half the film and yet in every other film since it seems like a giant syringe has been inserted to him and his full charisma has just been slurped out the back of his head and then just thrown aside like you just he's just this kind of void it's really odd absolutely look I'm not going to go through his entire uh, sort of filmography but um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of shitters in there, I think. A lot of shitters. Um, You're not telling me that the 90s Godzilla remake was bad. I'm not saying it was bad, but... Um, I mean, that's the reason that all of Japan switched over to the, the American versions of Godzilla, right? That's, why <laughs> that's true. They just went, we're never going to make another one. They've done it. They've, they've you know... Very, very true. They've very, got very to true. the top of the mountain. There's nowhere left to go from this. Absolutely, absolutely. A random blonde actress who was never seen again. Oh, <laughs> Matthew yeah. Broderick screaming at Jean Renault in front of a badly CGI'd action figure. Yep. Oh, look, we'll do a spin-off podcast, Tom, where we just sort of review, I think, Matthew Broderick films. I think <laughs> sure. it's sort of time for that. I think. Sorry, I got are... slightly distracted from my new waiting brackets for me in bracket. That's oh, fine, it happens, it happens. Did you have anything to say about... Oh, look, I just wanted to say that, yeah, look, twosome. it is a power ballad slash power duet. Um, there's a lot of power involved, I think. <laughs> there um, is. It's pretty good. The look, chorus is still pretty powerful. Yeah, look, I'd listen to this over a lot of the duets that have come out in recent years. Um, Aretha Franklin, um, power to her. She gave birth to her first child when she was 12. Right. And she'd had two kids by the age of 15. I am and then too she, scared to ask. Well, I don't know much about Let's the background. I haven't really looked into, into it. That. But <laughs> two kids at the age of 15. Then she went on to have a great career and then ended totally. up doing this duet with George Michael. Now, kids these days, teenagers, they're too busy doing gothic Lolita photo shoots on train overpasses for Instagram and playing Angry Birds to have kids. They're too busy doing that bullshit. They're wasting their fucking lives. Why don't you, if you're an aspiring young singer, have a kid at 12, have your second kid at 14, boom, kids are done, 
and then you can get them into school by the time you know you're 19 <laughs> you've got true. two kids primary school they're taken care of that's free babysitting then you can co- you know focus on your singing career that's right and you've just got and then you don't have to sort of you know you hit 25 and it's just like oh look you know you, you're getting there you're having a few hits you know, I need to take time off to have kids. You don't have to because you've already got two and mm. they're already teenagers That's by right. that time. So just do that. <laughs> if there's one thing that Aretha's taught me, it's have kids young when you're 12. Just do that. That's kids true. these days, what the fuck's wrong with you? You're too busy doing bullshit on TikTok it's to fucking worry dumb, about having kids. Oh, I absolutely. Very few of them are ever going to end up duetting with George Michael oh none of them you know they might duet with a hologram of George Michael but you know even then I don't think it's going to happen so yeah I mean, yeah for They're sure all too busy with their only fans and yep. their oh, flappy birds and exactly. you know, video games that came out 12 years ago yeah. you know, they just can't stop definitely if you're 12 years and you're listening to this and you're up in your bedroom <laughs> and you're fucking doing some bullshit on TikTok dancing to some garbage just get quit pregnant. that now get pregnant have a kid and then you know move on to doing <laughs> your TikToking after the kid's grown up <laughs> a bit true. how about doing that Spend your teenage years doing something useful rather than just garbage on stupid social media things <laughs> that no one's going to care about in two years. Um, look, this is... Uh, I don't know whether I've got anything more to say about this. Just go listen well, to the song. if you, Everyone's probably knows this one. Lyrics, lyric-wise, it's your sort of overblown 80s stuff. Yeah. Uh, because it was written at the time, not previously written by a random bunch of dudes. Yep. Again, like most of the songs on these lists. Uh the first verse comes out of the gate, swinging, you know, total eclipse of the heart style. Mm. This is the first the first line. To, like a warrior that fights and wins the battle, I know the taste of victory. I went through some nights consumed by the shadows. I was crippled emotionally. Ooh. That's, the, that's <laughs> line Jeez. number four. Okay, wow. I mean, unless... I don't... If it, she'd written it herself, I might be thinking, hmm, maybe that's about having your second child at 14. Yeah, maybe. But because it was written by three random white dudes... You know, I would have to ask, do they realise that being crippled is permanent? Yeah. Because even if you kick Davo to the curb and hook up with George Michael instead, I don't think that being emotionally crippled is going to end well for your prospective relationship with George. Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like it. Also, there's 20 years between you, you know, guys. Yeah, for sure. It was never going to last. The thing I noticed, Tom, uh, when I ask you about your lyrical highlights (laughs) is the lyrics for a lot of these songs are not very good. But they're all sort of... How is that so? Does it is this By, something we're gonna we're gonna learn about more? Is that the yes. verses don't matter? Is that what we're gonna learn about? Is that what we've already learned? That you've got so. a catchy four line hook chorus. The rest of the lines can be fucking anything. It's pretty nuts, isn't it? I mean, you could say the same thing applies nowadays. Oh, absolutely. Nowadays, I think more singer songwriters and more hip hop people who write their own music get a bit more prominence yep. in the pop pop charts. But you still, you know, half the half the sort of you know younger pop acts on the on the bill still write songs that are written by three Dutch guys, you know, True. like just sing songs that are whole, the whole song's designed around the catchy chorus, like, you know, I knew you were waiting for me, like exactly. Whitney Houston stuff, like Paul Abdul stuff, you know, that sort of thing. Actually, she might have, no, I don't think they did. I think you just, in the, I've, I've sort of lowered my lyrical standards for the eighties, yep. the, the mainstream stuff. And, you know, as if the song either makes sense on a basic level and doesn't contradict itself in a weird way, like, <laughs> want, yeah. um, like uh, what did we just have? You keep me hanging on. Yeah. Or if it's interestingly overblown, like I knew you were waiting for me, like it's just got 
weird metaphors all over the place, but it's not boring, then that's the best it's going to get, I reckon, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So, look, um, yeah, George Michael, I think we've talked about his monthly Spotify before, 10.4 mil. Impressive. Yeah, that's a lot. Aretha's got 9.2. Wow. So that's pretty good. So I guess she's got a lot of hits. She's, you know, a long time. She's, you know, a long time for her to perform. 20 years older than George, as you mentioned. When you hear both of them singing next to each other, it's not super complicated to work out who the best musician was. No, not at all. Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, In fact, I was kind of wondering, uh, bloody, what was it? Who was it last week? The Live Aid one? No, it was... um, (laughs) The AIDS one, the AIDS charity oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it was, it wasn't Aretha Franklin, it was bloody... Yeah, it, it, it seems a little bit like possibly they invited someone who's a celebrity that's young and hip enough to give them some credit, but who is not actually good enough that they nah. won't look like they can sing the, off the stage anytime they want to. But anyway, yes, that's it. For sure. So 32 cents on Discogs. You can pick this up for it. It's cheapest. Um, Yeah, good times. Four weeks for that one. Um, So moving on next, 13th of April for five weeks. um, Paula Carcass, Boom Boom, Let's Go Back to My Room. Now, this is the best song of the year, let's face it. Do you remember that thing that I was saying about uh, how the dance charts were essentially part, were basically yep. part of the pop charts, yep. and that whatever shit was getting played at nightclubs? Yeah, well, I think this might be one of those. Oh, <laughs> absolutely! Look, look, Paul Carcass was a one-hit wonder, but I think he had a lot more to give, um, mm. really. And what I respect about this dude is that um, he just look. Lacarcus is not a common name, no. but he kept it. Whereas people like Michael Bolton said, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of my my name that sounds a little bit, I guess, what for the American audience, what quote foreign or, or <laughs> European." So you know, John Bon Jovi, same sort of thing. Sure. George Michael. So a lot of these artists sort of said, "Look, we need a a, no. a, a name that's easier to pronounce," or for whatever reason, they sort of ditch their actual name. But Paul Carcass, he just went, "Fuck it, I'm writing this <laughs> now." Would he have been a bigger celebrity if he had have been called, say, Paul the Rock, or if he had have <laughs> taken on a different name? Do you think that would have helped his career? Well, or not? if I'd never heard him sing, I yep. would say perhaps. Yeah, I would say perhaps that's <laughs> the case. Fortunately, he had other strings to his bow. Oh, though. absolutely! He's got one of the finest Wikipedia pages I think that exists. <laughs> um, so, how is that? Well, the Wikipedia page just says he's an American actor, model, filmmaker, club musician, high energy singer who was discovered for his musical and dancing skills at a nightclub while on a modelling assignment in Italy. Mm, so that's sort okay. of the first paragraph. So, that raises a lot of questions. It does raise a number so of questions. He's a model, he's in yes. Italy, he's at a nightclub. And he's dancing really well. And someone says, let's give that guy a recording contract. Now, that seems sort of... Um, <laughs> also, that's bear in mind, he would have been about 19 at that point yeah, as absolutely. well. That's, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Born in 66. That, I think, is that an irresponsible use of signing someone? Because if you see someone dancing really well at a nightclub, do you give them a recording contract? Because recording and dancing are not exactly the same thing. <laughs> you know, like if you see me... Uh, at the bowling alley, um, you know, at you know strike one or whatever it is, and I bowl a strike. Do you say that dude just bowled, you know, sent down a strike? Let's give him, you know, a basketball contract or something. You don't do that. That would make no fucking sense because they're not the same thing. But someone said, "Love his dance moves. Let's get him on the mic. Let's record mm. this song." Um, Look, you know, 
At least you gave us the Lukakis sound. That's <laughs> all did, I can say. You did. And, it, it, you know, we still have the Lukakis sound today. Um, look, I think, unfortunately, because his career didn't really go further than this, it sort of took a little bit of a turn. Um, and, unfortunately, he tested positive for HIV around 1989. Um, sure. He may have been offered the cure, but said, I don't want any drugs that are off you know, the money that was raised from that shitty song from last week. That's what friends are for. They said, we've got a cure for AIDS. He said, not if it's provided by medicine that was financed by that's what friends are for. That's what I believe he said. Um, So he didn't make it widely known until the 90s. Um, And look, he did play an HIV positive character in some films and he's spoken out publicly on HIV issues, etc. But... He appeared on the cover of the, uh, there's a magazine called POS, which I believe is a sort of magazine relating to people that are positive with HIV. So he gave an interview in that and he told some stories about his time as a male prostitute in West Hollywood between 1994 and 1997. In the interview, sorry, he admitted to intentionally exposing his escort Johns to HIV. Oh dear. Um, he said in the article Sorry. he had unprotected sex with clients as a male escort who did bill. not inform of his HIV status. He admitted to lying clients about his status and then having unprotected sex with them. Now, is that something you call the ACCC for? Do you sort of say, you know, I didn't quite get what I, you know, contracted uh, yes. for? Is that a consumer affairs this type thing? Bill of goods was yeah. not as advertised. Exactly right. I mean, it's. I think that that's probably not what you should do if you're HIV positive. Work as a male prostitute and not tell the clients no, that you are it's not HIV great. positive. I mean, even by the standards of the time, he had four whole years to think about that and still decided to do that. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Absolutely. So, in many ways, um, He's some of the people well. that he had unprotected sex with... Um, possibly contracted AIDS themselves and possibly died of HIV as a result of this. So he's effectively a serial killer. <laughs> he may have killed hundreds of people. He's worked as a male prostitute between 94 and 97. I don't, I have not checked his diary, but let's assume that um, he's hooking up with a dude a day <laughs> for three years. That's a thousand dudes that he's banged. And some of those guys are going to have died of HIV. It could be hundreds. He could be worse than sort of uh, some of the big serial killers of the day. What do you think? It's not a good track record, is it? Not a good track record. But this is a great song. So um, (laughs) I'm going to give him a pass. He'll always have boom, boom, bracket, let's go back to my room in bracket. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, for sure. And Paul, he did something. He started this song set in motion a chain of events that led to of course the the battle of the boom boom over the next decade (laughs) now what i'm referring to is of course paul lukakis this song boom boom yeah okay then a few years later um we had the out there brothers boom 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 (laughs) if you remember that call yeah, boom, boom, let me hear you say, well, uh, yes. well, yeah, boom, do. boom, boom, let me hear you say. So they had that. And then that, and you know, obviously the logical conclusion to this boom battle was the Venga Boys with boom, 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 boom. Wow. I want you in my room. They really took it up one extra notch. Exactly. Now the Venga Boys had double the booms, but the song's half as good as this. So I don't, <laughs> so I think it sort of, it disproves the hypothesis that the more booms in the song title, the better the song is. 
That is a tough one to call between these two songs. Absolutely. Well, I think... I think um, I'd give it to the Lukaku sound yeah, look, just on the basis of the fact that uh, the Wenger boys had 15 years to try and improve on it and signally failed to do so. Oh, uh, absolutely terrible. Now, look... On um, the other hand, as far as I know, they didn't give a thousand dudes HIV on purpose, so, you know... That's true. Um, swings and roundabouts. It swings and roundabouts, exactly. I mean, look, Paul Lukakis may have killed thousands of people with HIV, but he didn't write <laughs> boom, 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 no. I want you in my room. So let's say he's better than, than the Venger boys. Let's have a... I'm going to... Can I do a bit of a... I know yeah, you're the lyrics man, but I want to do a bit of a lyrical comparison between the three so that the people at home can decide which one they prefer. <laughs> sure. So boom, boom, let's go back to my room. Kicks off with, hey, baby, I'd like to talk to you. Come back to my room for a little boom, boom. Now, boom, boom, I assume means uh, deep dicking. Yes. But he it, doesn't say, come back to my room for a little boom, boom, bracket. I am HIV positive and it's going to be without yeah, a condom. He really should have added that. Yeah, absolutely. But then he goes on, you keep coming to me. I can dig your dynamite. Know the way you move. Get in the groove. You're driving me crazy, crazy for you. Second time you move me, it's time for us to boom, boom. So you can come right close to me, feel the burning fire. Or you've got... Should I, can I just point yeah, out, sorry. none of those words rhyme. <laughs> no, none, of just, none of that shit rhymes with anything. And, and, and then, it's not like we're dealing with complicated, <laughs> no. multi-syllable words or anything. Yeah, exactly. And he's also got, I can dig your dynamite. And then he Doesn't talks about, um, feel the burning fire. Now, I think a burning fire close to dynamite is a real bad idea yeah. to begin with. And But then we get into the chorus, boom, 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 let's go back to my room. We can do it all night and you can make me feel right. Um, has anyone ever really wanted to do it all night? Are there any chicks that are just no. went, I want to be boning from 10pm to like 8am? I was thinking exactly the same thing with the previous song by yeah. the other stalker, um, yep. Boris Gardiner, whereas he makes that classic tedious ass bitch lyrical thing of rhyming hold you tight with all the night or all yep. through the night or all night. And it's the same thing. It's like nobody actually wants that. In the history of relationships, has anybody wanted to be held very tightly for eight full hours? Oh, like if you, even if you did that with your partner that you've been married to for 10 years, there would be a divorce proceeding involved in that. Absolutely. Look, and if you were just fucking as well, you know, I mean... For sure. I mean, I think with Boris Gardner... complications. Boris Gardner's a different one because, you know, the person might be lying very still as he held a knife to their throat because <laughs> he certainly sounds like a sort of psycho yes. that might just break into your house and you just be like, oh. But yeah, you're right. I mean, look... To want for a better term, and I don't want to get too graphic, but yeah, I don't think any woman really wants a cock inside her for 10 hours. Yeah. Is that right? I don't, I don't, I don't think know. Uh, any woman, I don't think Paul Dukakis was particularly interested in what women were into. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Okay. Oh, well, for sure. This, um, yeah. I mean, but even. Well, does even, a dude want a, a, a penis in, in the ass for eight hours? I don't well, know. I don't know. Like, that's, that's, that's what Paul is sort of suggesting here. You it know, definitely all night. Is. So, yeah. Look, I think a, a, a fraction of the night, I think everyone can be like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, females can say, yep, a fraction of the night. You know, gay men can say a fraction of the night, but I don't think anyone's like saying all night. So look, no. these lyrics, but yeah, like we get it. The boom, boom is banging and it's in the room and it's all night. So yes. that's, you got Paul Lukakis. Also, it just sounds like a man very, trying very hard to make boom, boom a thing oh, in absolutely. the sense of being a euphemism. And I think the fact that 
today, nobody uses that as a euphemism shows that he failed to make. Bring, he did fail, but um, the Venger boys tried to bring it back. So Still didn't work. Now, the Venger boys, we'll move on to that one next. Um, <laughs> this one's just boom, boom, boom. I want you in my room. Let's spend the night together from now until forever. So they've just basically taken his song, ripped it off, added two more boom, booms on there. Yes. And it's still like, but they're still rhyming boom with room. <laughs> and then let's spend the night together and from now until forever. Now, forever in one night, they're hardly the same fucking thing, are they? In fact, they're very, very different. And um, anything, locking someone in your room forever, that sort of gets getting into very dangerous territory. It sounds territory. even more nightmarish than either having anal sex for eight full hours or being gripped very tightly by Boris Gardner as your body slowly cools to oh, death in look, the gutter. And it, and it does beg the question, what would you prefer to have sex with Paul Lukakis for eight hours knowing that he's HIV positive or to have to hang out with the Venger boys in a room for forever? Ooh, that's tough. Are they playing their own music? They are playing their oh, own music. They're crikey. doing a DJ set for uh, forever Oof. until eternity. Yeah, at least the former would end at some point. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I don't want to make fun of people who've got AIDS, but I just did. So look, I think pa- I think I, I think Paul Lukakis, circa '87. I don't know what he looks like now, but in 87, he was quite an attractive man. He so. was, actually. I mean, if he you want to understand the appeal of this, then, like... Or if, alternately, you want to see what the sort of a himbo, like an Usher type or a Peter Andre type yep. from 1987 looks like, check out the video of this. Like, he's handsome, obviously. Like, you know, he was a model. But he really, by today's standards, he just looks like a kind of skinny dude that you went to high school yep. with. Like, the only best thing I can say about it is, compared to most of these music videos, his sort of new new wave outfit and non-mullet hold yep. up quite well. Even his, like, stupid sort of um, tapered six-inch too-short pants are actually in fashion <laughs> right now. Like, yep. he's, he wouldn't look... Apart from having six buttons undone to Well, I was going to say, yeah. Is like, he wearing a suit jacket with nothing underneath, or is it just a shirt that's really... a weird, lowered thing. And then through that, it's supposed to reveal his awesome chest. But again, by today's standards, it just looks like a dude who works at KFC who's shaved his chest, you know? Absolutely. And he's sweating quite a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that this was... The only thing that you can really explain the success of this is that it was a gay club anthem and possibly a straight club anthem at the time, but it is not good enough by the standards of either to have actually lasted beyond this. You know, And even as you point out, if you say to someone, boom, boom, in a kind of song sense, it's even odds that they're going to say one of those two other songs. Like, it's not even the first boom, boom song you yeah, think of. look, quite possibly, look, but if I was in an IGA and I was <laughs> at the checkout about to pay for the eggs um, and this came on, I'd probably pretend that I've forgotten something and go back into the IGA and listen to the song because I do enjoy it on that sort of once a year in a supermarket type scenario. So I think it's pretty good. Paul Lukakis, he's still alive today. So obviously, you know, he's a survivor in the sense that, you know, he was diagnosed with AIDS in 1989. So that's a long time ago. That's pretty so, so that's pretty... I mean, not to I bring ho- it up I, again, but I wonder how many people that he slept with are still alive as well. Yeah, look, he's... That's pretty brutal. He's probably a mass murderer. In and case you're thinking that we're being, you know, lighthearted about AIDS. Like, oh, I'm not being we lighthearted about AIDS. We giving it to people no, while no, no. they were paying us money to have sex Certainly with not lighthearted at all. It's I, been I, years since anyone paid to have sex with me. So, you know, it's not an opportunity. That's going for to sure, likely I just... to occur again. Frankly, 
Absolutely. So, look, so that's um, that's one and two. So we've had boom, boom, and boom, 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 boom. Um, the Out There Brothers, they split the middle <laughs> with three booms. They went three booms is what we're going to go for. And chronological order, it went Paul, then uh, Out There Brothers, then Venga Boy. So people add a boom every few years. So I think well, it's time again, for a boom, 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 another boom. Another one possibly. If no one's done a five, yep. John Bon, bon Jovi. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly. Now, I think Paul Akakis, boom, boom, let's go back to my room. Um, pretty explicit. You know what it's about. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. I want you in my room. It's, you know, we know what, what they're going yeah. for. I think the Out There Brothers, they went a little bit subtler. I think you had to sort of read between the lines, sort of look in the crevices to sort of hear what they were talking about with their lyrics. Um, obviously, boom, 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 let me hear you say way oh, way oh. And sure. then um, once you get into the verse, you know, it's going to take some interpretation. Not everyone's going to understand this, but, you know, it's sort of, yeah, I think you'll figure it out once you sort of have, you might, you might need to listen to this podcast again. You might need to just sleep on it and then you'll probably yep. figure out what they're talking about. But girl, your booty is so round. I just want to lay you down. Let me take you from behind. I won't come until it's time. But if I cannot sleep with you, maybe right. I could have a taste. Put your nani on my tongue and your booty on my face. So, very subtle, hard to sort of know exactly what they're talking about, I a lot subtler. I've heard that song, but I clearly couldn't understand the yeah, lyrics, absolutely. because they were going past too quickly to For re- sure. reveal um, their subtlety. Absolutely. So, they've got a bit more as well. Um, I came to make it, make you shake it till you break it, caress your body until you're naked, bend you over, grab your shoulder, slip my Peter inside your folder. Now, has anyone I, referred to a vagina as a folder before in a song? No. I assume even, that's what they mean. Even Peter. I haven't heard that for about no. 25 years. Slip my Peter inside your folder. Make you sweat. Get you wet. Pump it faster to make it better. Dim the lights and lock the room. Because now it's time for me to hit that boom. Once again, trying to make boom into a euphemism. Yeah, absolutely. So look, um, definitely the subtle of the three. Is, is this the better... Which is the best? Which is the what is what is the oh optimum God. amount of booms? God. Well, that's one too many booms because it's friggin' disgusting. Yeah, um, and also just a shit song. I think so. I think Paul Lukakis may have hit on oh the God. perfect boom ratio the first time I'm with boom boom. That's it's a toss up between Paul Lukakis and the Venga Boys. Oh, look, the Venga Boys is I think objectionally terrible. So I'm going <laughs> to go with Paul Lukakis. I'm calling it. Oh my goodness! See, for all the bad things we said about him, like that he's a serial killer. Oh, he is. You know, but it's it turns the best out, song. boom wise, he's you know he was onto something. Look, Tom, it's about separating the art from the artist. I think we've talked <laughs> about this before. So Paul Lukakis may have killed hundreds of people, but this is definitely the best boom song. Um, two booms is the optimum amount of booms. Three. Is okay. Four is way too many, I think. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And of course, we're forgetting um, Boom Shake the Room from yes, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh me. That's Prince. That's a single boom. That is a single boom, which I don't think is enough. Not mm, quite perhaps enough. Perhaps not. All, uh, yeah, and also the fact that he doesn't attempt to turn boom into a euphemism for sex in that. Yeah, exactly. It's about shaking a room, which is a completely different yes. thing. Whereas the other three are... I, th- I think the Out There Brothers one might be about... 
sex. I couldn't quite tell from the lyrics, <laughs> but I think it might be. The it's other two way definitely. Too subtle for, me. for sure. So Paula Kark is 28,000 listeners on Spotify, oh, which is Paul, not, that's not a lot. Not that it's many. at the lower end. That's um, what I'm talking about. If this was getting played in nightclubs, even, you know, yeah. only gay ones, he would have at least 100,000 still just off the strength of that. Oh, we, talked about, we that talked about gay anthems last week. This is not an anthem. I don't it's think, officially yeah. not an anthem. I'm this sorry. definitely didn't cross over into gay anthem territory, I don't think. So it just goes to show that you know it's really difficult to know how popular a song that is a number one will sort of last over the yeah, long term I would say that Karma caught up with him but it obviously didn't because he's still alive he's still alive so. but I think song wise this is definitely one of the better ones this year <laughs> oh my god quickly let's move on before 91 cents on 91 cents off the discogs there you sure. go five weeks for that that's a lot that's no, a lot good time it's so, gotta be nightclubs that's um, up next, um, 18th of May for four weeks, is Dave Dobbin with The Herbs, Slice of Heaven. Oh, now, yeah. Dave Dobbin and The Herbs, this is performing the theme song from the Foot Rot Flats this film. This is our first movie film. Now, of, does anyone uh, understand? Yeah, so, so by me saying uh, Dave Dobbin and The Herbs performing the theme song from Foot Rot Flats, does anyone understand any of the words in that sentence? Outside of Australasia, I would think probably not. No. Um, <laughs> Even then, anybody under 30 probably. Under 50? Fuck, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, I am. Hey, I saw this at the <laughs> cinema. I was about, yeah. So Dave Dobbin is from New Zealand. The Herbs I don't know fucking anything about. Um, I remember the first time I went to New Zealand, I walked into a cafe and this was playing and I said, <laughs> ah, I've had the full New Zealand experience. This is all I need to do. Don't worry about the bubbling hot springs of Rotorua. I can fly straight home. Um, Fort Rock Flats, what can you tell me about that, Tom, for those that are unfamiliar? Well, for those that are unfamiliar, it was a, uh, you know, it was a newspaper, syndicated newspaper comic strip about Mm -hmm. a black and white uh, New Zealand cattle dog. Mm -hmm. And he had lots of sort of earthy homespun farm adventures uh, with a a kind of wry eye cast at, uh, you know, uh, rural life and, you know, all sorts of things. It was quite well drawn. It had a kind of... By the standards of something like Garfield, it had a kind of... To, oh, to give it some credit, I'd say it had a sort of Taika Waititi-ish kind of sensibility of just kind of, you know, like sort of, you know, giving an animal a sense of humour without talk, turning him into a sort of Monday-hating lasagna. Mm. I was going to say, how much lasagna did the dog eat? Or <laughs> yeah, that? and there was no merchandising, really. That mm. They did well to make, get a film made, and in fact... I was looking at the video clip of this and I was thinking, like, this is actually pretty well done. This is yep. like well done hand-drawn animation with like painted backgrounds. And when I, I watched this at the movies, like I said, so I would have been nine and I remember we all had a, quite a good time. And, yeah, look, yeah. absolutely. Um, and this song is catchy as shit. I am a big fan of this Look, song. I, I saw the film um, when I was a child. I've not seen it since, so I can't really tell you a lot about it. Um, however, I will say, and this is not to take a shit on New Zealand at all. I, I'm not definitely not doing that. But is this like one of the only New Zealand sort of animated films that you can think like? You know what I mean? Yeah, like I can't off really the top of my head. Like, and that's even going through to the modern era. And that's sort of <laughs> not me saying, "Ah, uh-huh, let's laugh at New Zealand because they don't make." I'm not doing that at all. I'm just sort of as a general sort of. Yeah. I know a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are probably saying, "Oh, Australians shitting on New Zealand," but that's not the case, Tom. It's just a genuine question. Um, if any no, listeners out well, there know of any other New Zealand... I can't think of any yeah. personally, but I would say that... Because this was in the newspaper 
you know, every day as it a was, kid, the, yeah. the, the foot rot flats. I don't know whether it, is it still syndicated these days. Could you imagine? I think possibly, it probably is. Probably is. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I can't imagine it made it to too many countries outside of Australia and New Zealand. But no. like Garfield style, they would have sold, you know, hundreds of thousands of books of this stuff. Like everyone's dad had, yep. you know, or brother had one of these in the toilet when you went to visit. Like you absolutely. Know, for yeah. sure, no. So I think. Sorry, it's... now I'm just talking about fucking. But that's toilet, toilet books. <laughs> this was a very popular song, and they used it as the theme song for a very popular film, which had like the song sort of adult and child appeal. Like it's a very yep. catchy song. It's not. It doesn't have boom, boom, boom style lyrics doesn't. about putting your dick in someone, and yeah, and the, the the comic was also sort of you know wry enough to appeal to adults, but you know also about a dog. Yeah. Look, this is a great song. This is one of the better ones, I think, of the year for sure. I think it's still pretty catchy. Um, as I mentioned um, with Paula Carcass, yeah, I'd hang around in the supermarket if this came on. I think if it <laughs> yeah, popped sure. on, I'd definitely definitely check it out. Um, look, it's hard to say whether Dave Dobbin is the best New Zealand musician of all time. Well, I'm not from there, so I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't, look, I know. think he's in the top five. Um, look, <laughs> Who I'm would go- they be? Oh, look, Tom, just off the top of my head. Um, look, I think we mentioned before Russ Rock. I sure. think he's up there, um, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, for his work as Russ Rock and for his work um, in 30-odd foot of grunt mm-hmm. subsequent to that. Um, the Able Tasmans, you know those guys? No. No, either do I. I just, just Googled it and just wrote it down because <laughs> they sounded shit. Um, Dragon. Sure. Dragon. Love Dragon. Yep. Those were our young years. Scribe. Uh, April Sun in Cuba. How many dudes Scribe. roll like this? Scribe. Mm, if you remember that. one Nike commercial. Um, sure. The Herbs, um, who were <laughs> with Dave Dobbin on this. Very, very good. Um, John Stevens from Noiseworks. Sure. Um, I think I've done five, but I'd probably also throw in Keith Urban as well. Mm. Love Keith. Um, one of Australia's quintessential country artists was born in New Zealand. And he's um, not a country artist or no, American yet. Somehow. Absolutely. <laughs> somehow he's big there. Okay with that. For sure. I think with Keith Urban, I did notice that during um, the coronavirus, he was doing a lot of performances at his house with Nicole Kidman. Sure. And it looked like she had the Stockholm Syndrome. Like, is she... <laughs> Is, she, is is he quite possibly? Yeah. Yes. Look, I don't want to call out Keith Urban, but I think, um, yeah, it did look like she was being kept there against her will. And look, this is—I don't know. This probably isn't a hot take at all, but she'd broken up with Tom Cruise, who's a Scientologist, mm-hmm. so she's effectively in a cult. Yeah. She escaped a cult. And in swoops Keith Urban <laughs> with a vulnerable woman who's just come out of a cult and sure. says, "Hey, baby, think come and you know look come and hang 1990s out with me. Hair. Look at my nineteen nineties hair, and my weird tattoos. <laughs> come and hang out with me." And he's obviously a fucking creeper. But <laughs> after you've been in a Scientology cult, he yeah. seems as normal as fucking. That's true. Anything. She's probably thinking, "Who's this down to earth, down to earth guy who's pretending to be Australian, who's exactly. pretending to be?" Uh, from Nashville yeah for sure and then mum's you're on the phone to mum oh, I've met a new guy no he's not in a cult and then the parents are like oh he's a keeper because he's not in a weird no, Scientology like, oh, bizarre what does he cult. do and she's like oh he's a famous musician and they're like can you name a single one of his songs and they're like and she's like oh, no no <laughs> no one can you'd have heard of him there, right? and they're like no <laughs> no one can name one of his songs who is Keith Urban she's looking at a photograph of him and he's just slightly fading away as they're looking at it <laughs> exactly <laughs> So he swooped in to sort of take on Nicole Kidman and he is, I wouldn't say Keith Urban's as, you know, as much of a predator as say a Boris Gardner type character, but he's up there. (laughs) 
Sure. Is he? I don't well, know. I would certainly say that he is no not as good musically as Dave Dobbin, frankly. Oh no, Dave Dobbin's a lot better. So yeah, definitely. So they're my top. I think I said a few more. Oh, Liam Finn as well. Um, <laughs> sure. Neil Finn's son. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I assume he's probably as good, if not better, than his. Because I think um, when kids, he's probably covered a few of his dad's songs, and I find that kids with no discernible talent covering their parents' songs is probably they're usually better than the parents. Sure, songs. and everyone assumes they have lots of credibility because they build on the original and make them better. So it's okay. My sex, computer <laughs> sure. games. Sure, yes. Yep. Yep. So there's yeah. a lot of a lot of great New Zealand lots artists. Lots of there. hits they have. But oh, Dave, don't forget OMC as well. OMC from how yeah how bizarre yeah. exactly. So yeah, definitely um, a lot of great acts there in my definitive list of best New Zealand artists of all time. But yeah, Dave Dobbin um, with the Herbs. Definitely the best. Yeah. This song's the best. I really like the song. It's it's really odd and inventive. Uh, Dave was in a lot of uh, formative New Zealand bands, including The Dudes, mm-hmm. that's T-H apostrophe Dudes, and mm-hmm. D.D. Smash, who are actually both pretty bad. Rad. I went back and looked at them. I haven't heard of them, but they are the New Zealand equivalent of your your noise works, you know, your, yep. um, your bloody... Uh, Tex Perkins, you know, they, I have to say, New Zealand really punch above their weight for music. Oh, like, no doubt. They really do. Like, in 1987, New Zealand had a population of 3.3 million. Yep. Which is, at New, in 1997, about half the population of New York City. Yep. So, yet they managed to produce The Dudes and Slice of Heaven, not to mention OMC, How Bizarre, oh, Moe Six, etc. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, if you're wondering, speaking of what we were talking about before with electric uh, flute, electric whistling in oh, the yeah. bangles, uh, that strange noise that begins this song, that, yep. that is made by an EMU emulator 2, okay. which was, per your talking about the drum machine, it was an early... 1981 synthesizer. It was one of the first commercially available, not synthesizer, you know, well, it's a synthesizer world, but a sampler. Yep. So, where you could actually put a disc in and copy uh-huh. actual things. So, that is That's supposed cool. to be some sort of uh, flute. So, it's been like some sort of down tuned yeah. flute thing. But yeah, so that was one of the uh, first sort of, you know, and look, readily think... available synthesizer things that were small enough that you could play it on a stage. Yeah, awesome. Because like... the other ones were like the size of a refrigerator, <laughs> of course, as you'd imagine. Now that's pretty pretty rad. And I think one of the things about the eighties that we sort of forget now, because all of these sounds are ubiquitous and they're just absolutely yeah. everywhere. But at the time, a lot of eighties pop music did embrace new technology. So we sort yes. of talked about the Lynn drum machine before, these sorts of things. And a lot of a lot it's of still around. Absolutely. It's just not as obvious as it no. was at the time, you know. Definitely. And there's sort of, you know, there's groups you sort of read about, um, you know, like someone like Gary Newman, who mm-hmm. um, I think sort of was effectively in sort of like a sort of a punk sort of band, but then walked into the studio and saw some synthesizers laying around and just decided to test out the songs he'd written on a guitar <laughs> and a synthesizer. And then you've got like, yeah. Songs like Cars and those sorts of well, things. Well, yeah, no, very... what he did was he went, um, you know what, I can do all of this at home in my bedroom. Why <laughs> yeah. am I going to bother getting five dickheads and playing for rehearsal space when I can just do all of this at home? And unusually, he was correct. He actually could. Ex- exactly, exactly. And <laughs> you, you know? sort of, so you had songs that when he wrote them were probably like sort of regular punk or rocky sort of songs, but then you play them on a different instrument. Yeah. You got a different timbre. It sort of introduced 
introduces a whole new world of sounds. And then, yeah, it you go through the 80s. At the time, absolutely, sure absolutely. Was. And I sort of, yeah, and maybe, I don't know, today it's, it's probably the same thing. It's just that I sort of go, oh, stupid auto-tune or fucking yeah. whatever stuff but and i guess people do a lot more it things will on computers date it. These days. will date it in 20 years time people are going to go oh that's that 2010 sound of oh, you know, of course like, yeah. yeah and some of those some of the 80s songs have you know dated worse than others but i think yeah there's sort of something about that sound well that, in a, um, in a good, good example like this what happens is that it is dated but it's dated in a fun way you Absolutely. get an unusual combination of synthesized and real sounds that you would not get that same way later on you know and yeah yep. and apparently that's why Dave left those earlier bands because they were far more pub rocky and you know yep. like the dude's most famous song is like it's like a New Zealand drinking anthem which is really fun it's just basically let's go to the bar and have another one nice. it's called Bliss and they rhyme that with every possible euphemism for beer you could think of but um, but then he ended up leaving these bands because he wanted to do more unusual you know pop type stuff which is exactly what this is you know yep. so, yeah and um, Dave what did he get up to like was... sort of post this because I don't know a lot about yeah well he was these were very successful he moved to Australia after the success, success of this song it was mm. after it was featured in the film it was a big hit um, in April 97 uh, 1987 a reworked version of song Slice of Heaven featured in a number of television commercials in Australia they were funded by the Australian Meat Industry Council and the commercials promoted the Devon meat product by substituting the word heaven for Devon Slice of Devon yep <laughs> seriously is it any coincidence that he was went on to be knighted in 2021 <laughs> this year and is now Sir Dave Dobbin really? like once you've done Slice of Devon you know where else is there to go? It's Look, only a matter of time before the Queen takes notice. Absolutely. In this case, that would be 25 years. But, you know, she got there in the end. Look, good to see you didn't sell out in any way. Um, so that's a positive. <laughs> hey, look, when you've got an opportunity that good, you know. Oh, like, look, heaven does <laughs> rhyme with Devon very well, and it's good to see that. I, I was going to ask you if you could come up with a better example I of can't. song product placement. I cannot, the best absolutely. I could come up with was, I don't like cricket, advertising cricket. But the problem is, in that actual song... Growing up, I assumed that was a word swap, but it's not. He actually says that in yeah. the original, so it's not even... They're just like, oh, cricket, that'll do. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, for those people that don't know what Devon is, it's a processed meat yes, of, of sort of low quality. Is Americans that? call it bologna, yeah, I okay. believe it's called. Yep. Other places think of it as that weird pink meat that's yeah, inside absolutely. hot dogs. But yeah. Fucking hell. So, knighted so in 2021. Mm, that's just amazing. February, like Jeez. weeks ago, he got a knighthood. So, Dave Dobbins. There you go. Sorry for not referring to you as Sir at the, at the beginning of this section. I was unaware. So there sure. you go. Lyrically, this is perfectly fine for 1987. A little bit fun even, sort of bit bangle style. Doesn't yep. compare love to having a stick of dynamite up your ass or anything. But, good. Uh, the only thing is that he keeps beginning the chorus with Howdy Angel, Where Did You Hide Your Wings? Yep. Now, I don't know if you've noticed from my awesome reading, but one of those lines has four syllables and the next one has six which means that each time he has to drag the word howdy and the word angel over a whole beat <laughs> per syllable, which, as usual, when anybody does it, makes you sound like you just come back from the dentist and are trying to sing, yep. or like a contestant on Love Island trying to read a poem, what I wrote, because I love you, Brendine. Like, but yeah, other than that, like to the extent that I didn't know that's actually what he was saying, well, I've heard this song a hundred times. It just sounds like say. he says... 
Where did you hide your wig? Oh, for sure. Look, as someone such as yourself that went to see this in the cinema when it came out um, back in the day, and you've heard it, you know, several times a year subsequent to that, I think everyone can sort of go, where did you hide your... Everyone knows yeah. that part. But the first part, Howdy Angel, you just, you didn't sort of have no idea. No idea until yeah. you just told me, because it is just so... Howdy All he needed was one more two-syllable word. Yep. Howdy Angel, nice cans. Yeah. You know, that would have done it. Howdy Angel, brackets, you got, Devon's rad, you know. You got sick cans, Angel, <laughs> where did you hide your wings? Would it be as big a hit if he'd said you've got sick cans? 100% because oh, it's 1987. Anyway, right, so go check Sir that out. David Dobbin. If you don't know Sir Dave Dobbin, go check that out, um, as well as the Able Tadsmans and Keith Urban. Um, so all those guys are Ooh. pretty good. All Up right. next, um, Ooh, that was four weeks. Baby. Up next for five weeks is Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, Bracket, Who Loves Me, in Bracket. Oh, what a ripper. This is a fucking banger. It is this still is, a banger. This is so good. Um, look, I think the thing with Whitney is that once she got into the 90s, it was sort of, um, sort of you know, bodyguard, sort of, mm. I will always love you, like yeah, emotional ballads. Yeah, behind a bit, but yeah. And it all sucked shit, I'm going to say, but in the 80s, she was pumping out some absolute bangers. Yeah, this is one this of them. This is club music. And it oh, shits shit, on, yeah. you know, boom, boom, let's go back to my room from Orbit. Like, yeah, this look, is this is amazing. I said Paula Carcass was the best of the week. And I obviously <laughs> hadn't looked forward to, to what was coming because I'm a moron. Because this is way, way better. Um, yeah, look, I think, yeah. Well, probably, I mean, I assume that um, I Will Always Love You. I think that was a number one later down the track. So yeah. we can talk about that garbage in the future um, with Kevin Costner's sort of role in that sure, film. Sure, that couldn't be too far off. Oh, absolutely. It's coming up soon. But um, yeah, so this this is a great song. Now, this one, um, this is written by uh, Boy Meets Girl. So Boy Meets Girl, for okay. those that don't know, they oh, are a... They're a husband and wife duo. A woman. Who, yeah, husband and wife duo who penned um, Whitney's hit in 84, How Will I Know. Oh, yeah. So they penned that one, How Will I Know, um, If He Really Loves Me. Another great song. Only came to number two in Australia, so we didn't talk about it in 84. Um, but, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, and then they penned this one, yeah, well, another hit. And then they penned another song called um, Waiting for a Star to Fall. Oh, I remember that. Which is, um, I think, the best song of the 80s, <laughs> um, without a shadow of a doubt. But apparently, I think Whitney turned that one down. I think they might have also said to Whitney, hey, how about Waiting for a Star? Oh, she went, no dice, don't I want any part that of that. song. I do remember so, that song. So, Boy Meets Girl recorded that themselves, um, Waiting for a Star to Fall. If you don't know that one, go check it out. I think it's... Um, it's on my um, new underrated hits of the '80s compilation sure. coming out soon um, <laughs> on cassette. That. We should do cassette. that at the end of the '80s when so, we should do underrated hits of the '80s. Absolutely. So this sign. is one of them. Waiting for a star. Absolutely pumps. It's as good as this one. I want to dance with somebody who loves me. I think. Um, and you know, you know, it's good because it featured in Three Men and a Little Lady. So <laughs> that's how you know that's oh, a good song. Not the original. No, 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 no. Good songs don't feature in the original. They feature in the sequel. So Waiting for a Star to Fall, Three Men and a Little Lady, great. But yeah, so Boy Meets Girl. Um, yeah, they wrote obviously that song, but also a couple of absolute Whitney bangers. This one's fantastic. Um, uh, Tom, great. what else you got to say about it? Well, this, I mean, like you say, it's just a great song. They, yep. 
I'm not, I, you know, it's the, um, it's the musicianship as well, like the whole, the arrangement, whoever did. I'm not sure if that was um, Boy Meets Girl. Boy Meets Girl, yeah, they, they well. yeah, I believe, but I think. Yeah. And the same as um, How Well I Know. It's not just, you know, it's not just the, yeah, her singing as well. It's the whole, it's yep. the whole way it's set up. Like it's sort of, they both seem to kind of, you know, rise all the way through, like yep. as a good club song does, you know, like they they succeed as pop music, but they're also, you could totally dance to this. Like, yeah. And she can absolutely fucking sing. It's catchy oh, yeah. as shit. If those little, if her little high-pitched heats don't do something for you, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah, yeah definitely. Look, I, I think um, in the 80s and obviously in the 90s and especially today, uh, being a pop star, the, 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 there once was a prerequisite of the ability to sing. I think that doesn't exist anymore. Like, clearly you can just get anyone we and just, just be like... We did just have Paul McCarkin. We did have Paul McCarkin. <laughs> A lot of studio trickery, but um, when you have someone that actually can sing, oh, it does make great. a massive difference. Especially um, hearing her sort of ironically lower herself to... I mean, it feels like you listen to something like this and you think, you know, oh, she could be doing better than this kind of pop dance stuff. But then when she does, when she gets free reign, then you end up with stuff like I Will Always Love You, which is a good ballad, but, you know, it doesn't... It's not as... It doesn't have the sort of excitement that something like this and her 80s her stuff does, you know. Absolutely. It's just so much fun. It's just so great. Yeah, good song. Really, really good song. Probably the best. Um, one of the best on this week's list. I haven't uh, done this yet, but um, yep. uh, it's going to say Mullet Report. Oh, okay. Uh, in this video, oh boy, Whitney is... She's packing the spectacular and basically extinct, as far as I can tell... That's the African-American female permed dyed pyramidal she-mullet. Wow. I don't think I've spotted anything so majestic since Sheila E. Uh, does a standing <laughs> drum solo in The Adventures yep. of Ford Fairlane. It makes Van Damme in Hard Target look very ordinary. I'll tell you what. And although at least she's not trying to do a Cajun accent, <laughs> that's something... But, and hers is slightly... She doesn't look like she's tipped a litre of cooking oil over her head. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Uh, look, I watched Hard Target the other day, Tom, um, <laughs> just because I felt like it. And um, let's just say that one of the things about 80s action films is you need a lot of fight sequences. Mm-hmm. You need a lot of uh, jumping over cars and doing the splits and exploding motorcycles. <laughs> And Hard Target has all of those things. Sure does. But you also need some good one-liners once you've just <laughs> killed somebody or punched someone in the throat. Sure. This film has none of those because I don't know whether yeah. they let Van Damme write his own or the writer, <laughs> they just got someone that didn't really know what's happening. Because there's a few one-liners that make no sense yeah. and you're just like going, what the fuck? Van Damme and Christopher Lambert both suffered from the problem, which is that they would try to write one-liners for oh, okay. them. But their accents and general lyrical, their general delivery and inability to act combined yep. render them essentially illegible. Yep. Or even when they do arrive, they arrive after a mystifying three-second pause and you've forgotten what the start of the sentence was. Absolutely. What they should have done in Hard Target was give all the one-liners to Wilford Brimley. But yeah. I think even then his moustache possibly might have gotten in the way of you know, the delivery. <laughs> Absolutely. It comes to his chin, basically. Some pretty good bad dudes, though, I think, in Hard Target. Oh, so look, it's that's, right. um, is it Bishop? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's definitely one of the finest. I don't know what the fuck it has to do with I want to dance with somebody who loves me, but that's okay. Um, we've gone off on a tangent to talk about Hard Target. Everyone loves Hard Target. Um, look, Whitney... 
Oh, very sad because, um, yeah, obviously she did pass away. It's, it's a long time ago now, but yeah, she, she's been dead for a few years. But I think, um, you know, she'll always live on in song. And if you're going to live on through song, you want to have some good... You don't want to live on through shit songs. Yeah. And this is definitely one of those ones, I think, if you want to sort of look back and say, hey, why was Whitney so famous? I heard that song from The Bodyguard, it sucks shit. Well, then go back a couple of years to the 80s and listen to this. And um, she yeah. was at the top for I a long time. She oh, had, God oh, damn. she had decades of being, you know, before it all started to go bad. So, for sure, you know, doing research for this, I had a look. High life. Yeah, looked at her Wikipedia. Just uh, doing, <laughs> just weren't doing my not really, but just had a look at um, her other number ones, and she has a fair few in Australia. But in America, she's oh. got like fucking. 10, 10 yeah. number ones or more. Like every song her, that she released. Her career like, had phases of it, you know. She absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. So no, look, this is a, this is a good song. Um, Crack is whack. Let me just say that, um, that Whitney once <laughs> said in an interview, which I think is, it's not only true, but it uses, um, is that alliteration or assonance, Tom? But one of the two, but yeah, crack is whack. Don't smoke crack. Um, thanks, Whitney. Yes. 21.5 million on Spotify. That's a lot. And, and that's, but she's got a lot of hits, so that yes, doesn't surprise no. me at all. People still love her, you know. Absolutely right. So I'm not sure where those royalties are going to these days. Hopefully Bobby Brown, he probably needs the money, not sure. Or um, really their kids, but yeah. She um, could have been doing cheesy, you know, five nights a week Las Vegas shows with Britney right now. You know? Oh, she should be. She know, should in be. fact, I guarantee that's what she'd be doing if she was still alive. Definitely. So it is It is definitely sad. But look, 80 songs are great. 44 cents on Spotify. Sorry, on Discogs is the cheapest. Go pick one of those up. Sure. Buy that. 44 cents. Fuck. Buy one for your kids. <laughs> buy one for your friends. Buy all of those because that's, um, that's pretty good. And vinyl prices are only going up. That could be worth... $25,000 <laughs> in a year or two so I don't know sure. it's the new Bitcoin 7 um, inch <laughs> singles from the 80s as I'm calling it now so I'm going to launch a sort of investment podcast on the side mm, talking about good. which records you should buy and why so there we go sure. um, so that was for five weeks moving on to 20th of July for one week only Mel and Kim Respectable Crikey now how does this hold up as a dance single after fucking Whitney Houston? Oh, uh, look, as a dance single, it holds up terribly. And I'll tell you why. Look, um, it's probably time... Well, it's, uh, it is time that we introduce uh, into the podcast Stock Aiken and Waterman. Uh, okay. um, the British trio who produced just a lot of songs. Three sort of dudes. Three wow. dudes between now and for... Fuck knows how long, but... <sighs> a depressingly um, long period. Yeah. Look, this was their first number one hit that they wrote and produced. Um, they previously produced uh, Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Round, like a record. Probably the best song they ever wrote. <laughs> Absolutely. Completely down. Well, they didn't, even, they didn't write that. They only produced oh, okay. it. So well, that was one go. that they produced. They didn't write that one. Um, but... To, just to show what fucking morons people are in the UK, uh, they had 100 UK top 40 hits and 13 number one singles. Um, so people in Britain, they don't know what they're doing. They're going out, they're buying all the wrong music. Cause, what can I say? Look, these guys, um, the thing about their songs is, I guess, that the production sounds like super cheap. You know, like it's sort of... Yeah. If people were using the Lindrum and other high-end technology, this literally sounds like sort of... It sounds worse than if you bought 
um, a computer today and it has like some sort of pre-installed music making software on yes. there like this all of their song sounds yes. worse than that even and at the time even at the time they like it's sort of like us exactly just if you listen to this listen to 30 seconds of respectable and listen to 30 seconds of I want to dance with somebody who loves me and it sounds like they're from different centuries yep. you know like in terms of the quality of what's happening in the background absolutely so they pen this one and release this for Mel and Kim um, look, it's interesting that they had 13 number one hits when every single one of them was total dog shit. I don't really know how they did it. Um, and look, I don't really know whether this falls inside the jurisdiction or outside, but do you think The Hague could consider their back catalogue a human rights violation? Because mm. hundreds of millions of people have been affected by this on a massive scale. It's true. So many shit songs. Um, and this is probably one of the better ones, to be honest. Like, this, <laughs> yes, this, by the this standards. Is, this isn't great. <laughs> but no, it's terrible. It's mildly catchy, which is more than you can yep. say about... Say, 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 say. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like that. Remember that emulator we were talking about before? Sounds we could just plug in one vocal effect and just play it up and down the keyboard. Exactly. That's what's happening here. Now, That's the full song, basically. You might be wondering how three dudes could get together and have a hundred... UK top 40 singles. That's 100 songs in the UK top 40. You're sort of like thinking, how have they done this? Well, let me just sort of... I'll I'll run you through their creative process. So Waterman explained this in an interview. The best song we ever wrote were written literally when someone said, we've just had a call from Kylie. She's on her way in and trying to avoid the paparazzi. So you've got two hours. And we thought, shit, we don't even have a song yet. But someone said... Well, better the devil you know. And we said, that's a song. And bang, in one hour the song was written and in three hours it was recorded. It's just a great title that tells you what the story is. Now that, Mm. for me, explains their work ethic. They (laughs) pump out songs in an hour and it fucking shows. Because these are so shit. And unfortunately, we've got to talk about a lot more of these in the coming weeks. Yeah, unfortunately. Fucking hell. I would also dispute... Two things in that last sentence. It was just a great title and it tells you what the story is. So he's two (laughs) down before he's even finished bragging about how he wrote a hit in one hour. Better the devil you know. It's like, that's not original at all. So terrible. Look, No, it also doesn't explain what the story is. Yeah, for sure. So look, I mentioned Kylie there. I think one of their... their, Some of of their bigger artists we're obviously going to have to talk about. But Kylie Minogue is certainly one of them that signed up to these guys. In case you're American and you're thinking... How come I only heard about Kylie like five years ago, but she's been making music since 1987? Stock Aiken and Waterman. Exactly. That's why. Because she didn't start getting decent producers till about 2001, and that's when she actually exactly. started getting good. Look, hot take. Um, everything Kylie recorded in the 80s is fucking awful. It's so not great. Um, I know she's a big Australian star, and I probably shouldn't be saying this, but sort of um, from maybe mid-90s on, I think she had some passable songs. But yeah, certainly. Kylie is a big star but all of this 80s output is terrible and we're going to talk about that in a second I think but um, interesting this video clip was directed by Simon West who Tom also directed uh, Con Air <laughs> sure. Lara Croft Tomb Raider and The Expendables 2 wow what a fucking I mean, resume. Three out of three. What you have you done? Argue with it. It's definitely imagine being that dude and just go, fuck, oh yeah. What are you, what are, hey, I'm Simon West. I'm a director. Oh, what have you directed? <laughs> Tomb Raider. Oh, did you do any, Did you direct anything else as well? Expendables, as oh, Expendables 2, uh, Con Air, 
Oh, is that it? Oh, also did the Mel and Kim respectable video clip. You're like, <laughs> fucking holy shit. Mm. That's pretty impressive. Massive respect to that dude. Oh, didn't you mention that? Uh... Oh, yeah. He also <laughs> directed uh, Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Um, <laughs> Hang on. So... Could you show me a video of that? <laughs> yeah. Just in case. I mean, I have no idea what that is. You so, know, what, what sort of surprise could you give me? By look, it? I don't know if anyone... Do people still do Rick Rolling <laughs> in 2021? I fucking imagine they don't. Of people but, who still say what's up do, yeah. I think. Yeah. But Rick Rolling was a thing for a while, so everyone's probably... <laughs> in, if you're 12 and listening, it's probably not. But if you're 20... I mean, everyone's probably clicked on a link... <laughs> That's not the right thing that it's meant it'll to be, come and it'll back be rolling. Again, I absolutely, think, you know. Oh yeah, irony is not too far <laughs> around the internet. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so that's Rick Rolling. That's Simon West. Good on him. So he's probably got one of the most viewed music videos of all time, at least the first ten seconds of it until people click out. But yeah, Mel and Kim. Getting back to the actual yep. song, oh, so, well, I guess. I've nothing about no, Mel and no, Kim. No, no, that's okay. There's not a lot to say. I think they had one other hit, maybe. Yeah. Or well, by the standards, were of... they? Sisters or just friends? Because one of them did, well, unfortunately. I was going to say right? yes. No, they are actually sisters. Yep. We had to dance to this at school aerobics in grade four. Nice. Every week, over and over again, along with Lays La Bonita" by Madonna and "Star Trekking" by The Firm, which is a very <laughs> annoying novelty song that gets faster and faster and faster. <laughs> is that also from this year? <laughs> Possibly. Yes. Oh, I hope so. But as a child, I remember seeing the video for, clip for this song and thinking. You know, looking at these sassy, badass bitches dancing in an alley on the mean streets of Brooklyn. Yep. You know, and you look at it now and you can clearly see that it's two British chicks standing in front of fake graffiti on the same soundstage where Rick Astley was filmed <laughs> and choreographed by, I think, illegally videotaping teenage girls dancing in their bedrooms. Like, it just looks like two girls kind of just sort of doing approximately the same moves next to each other. They're both wearing... Wide-necked casual knitwear and berets. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I think I prefer my nine-year-old reality in this case. I yeah. think I prefer to imagine them as as they were when I was nine. Did as you... opposed to, you know, essentially a slightly African slash British girl group that never were. Yeah, exactly. Look, um, unfortunately, one of them did pass away, so that's sort of sad, I guess, probably why they didn't have the, the long career. I think they died pretty young, so... Oh, um, that's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. Um, but when you saw the video clip as a young child, did you think, I really hope this guy directs some sort of air-based film where <laughs> a US Marshal has to transport a criminal across the country? I mean, I have to say, I haven't watched that film since it came out of the movies, but some people will stand up for that film as opposed to probably Expendables 2. Oh, look, it's one of John Cusack's finest roles, I think, so yeah, it goes without saying. Yeah, I would I, I would not have looked, watched that and thought, hmm, this reminds me of Rick Rowling. No, absolutely not, absolutely not. So look, um, Mel and Kim, 170,000 monthly listeners, um, which is to be expected, I guess, it sort of only had one hit, predominantly mm-hmm. in the UK, Um and two cents. This is another two cents. Wow. Geez. So jump onto that, guys, if you want a Christmas present for someone yeah. that you're sort of indifferent about, I guess. The lyrics so. are about as good as you'd expect from um, <laughs> fucking Stock Aiken and Waterman, who we should just call SAW, except then I'll forget what that stands for. 
I mean, I'll, it's I'll, give it to shit, I'll, yeah, I'll say for this, by the standards of the shit they wrote for Kylie, at least they don't take any shit, these two girls. None mm. of this, I'd like to stop boning my ex-boyfriend, but unfortunately won't let me bullshit. Yeah. You know, like or hate him, but you'll never change them, Ben. Yes. They don't have time for conversation. They don't care if you think they're out of line. Don't wait up for them. They can look after themselves, all right. Fascination is their sensation. They look to like to put themselves on the line. Okay, maybe walk it back a bit. Like, you might going to get punched in the queue outside regimes here. Yeah. Like, Whitney's just going to step right over your comatose ass to get to the dance floor. But, yeah. you know, look, what can I say? They were, they were given it... I wouldn't say 110%, I'd say about 85 but yeah. you know, I can't blame them. This is what they had to work with. Look, 85 so. was good enough at the time, obviously, for Australian <laughs> audiences to say, boom, we're going to buy... In the week leading up to the 20th of July, we're buying this more than anything else in the shops. So, sure. there you go. One full week, that's what it deserves. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, cool, so moving on to the next week, um, 3rd of August for two weeks, we've got the Party Boys... With he's going to step on you again. Okay. Now, Who are the party boys? Why no fuck all about the party boys? Had to look it up on the internet because I'd never heard of them before. They're effectively an Australian rock, quote, super group, <laughs> end quote. I'm putting that in inverted commas. Um, so you've got members of Mondo Rock. Okay. Uh, what? Um, someone from the Lardy Dars uh, and the Kevin Borsch Express. Um, so it was found as a part-time venture for professional musicians with downtime from their other acts. And it had temporary members from such groups as Status Quo, The Angels, Sherbet, Skyhooks, Rose Tattoo, The Choir Boys, Australian Crawl, Divinals, Models, Dragon, and Swanee. Sure. Now, a lot of those names probably mean nothing to anyone. No. uh, Unless you're of a certain... If you're not from Australia and you're not you know, over 30, then just consider it a who's who of, you know... Mediocre to poor to all right band. There's some yeah, good ones in there. I'd, good, I'd so, so for, of, yeah, Australian know, Crawl had some great songs. touring white yep. Australian middle-class rockers that you wouldn't want to see with their clothes off. Exactly right. Deal. Except possibly the Divinals. Yeah, so these... I'll make an exception for this. <laughs> no, they, these guys had some big hits, but from the sounds of it, it sounds like three dudes who were bored set up a super group and then occasionally some more famous dude would wander in and do a couple of verses. Yeah, exactly. So look, all of those individual bands, yeah, you're right, they were some of the biggest ones in Australia, had some hits, but this is a fucking cover band, let's face it. Let's, you know, cut to the chase. Fuck these guys. They've just got some people together to say, let's record. Um, he's going to step on you again. Um, which I don't even know a lot about either. So it's, it's a, a cover. cover. Yes. Yep. Um, look, the video clip really looks like a bunch of washed up musicians who thought, wouldn't it be fun if me and Dave and Steve got together and did some covers of some <laughs> old songs? That's effectively <laughs> what it is. So, yeah. um, And it went to number one because I guess... Not because of the quality of the cover, but because of the people that are in the group. Someone like saying, oh, I like the Choir Boys and Status Quo. So. Yeah. I mean, it's not... The original song's not, not catchy at all. No. This, this version is too fast. Like, speed doesn't improve it. Yep. It's like they listened to an old sort of rock standard and thought, hey, I'll speed it up. It'll make it sound tougher. Like, But, you know, it doesn't. Would Black Betty improve if you made it 50% faster? No. Probably it, not. No. There were... A couple, there's been quite a few covers of this, among them uh, much more famously Def Leppard and oh. um, the Happy Mondays. 
both yep. of which versions are better than this. Yep. The Happy Mondays one is a particular favourite of mine. It's also got a great video with just the whole band on the roof of some hotel in Spain, clearly all off their face on a yep. variety of chemicals. <laughs> but what they do is slow it down and it turns it into a kind of uh, baggy pants dance like early 90s ecstasy classic yep. as opposed to this, which is a sort of forgotten trash pub rock yeah. thing that no one remembers except the people who were in it, I'm assuming. Yeah, look, do you think um, when the Party Boys perform live, there was anyone at the show other than their immediate wives, girlfriends and friends? <laughs> Did, would anyone else have gone to see this apart from... The dudes in pe- the other bands who were waiting to go on because these yeah, guys were the opening act, possibly? I, I sort of feel like it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, what do you... Oh, my, my husband's in this or my boyfriend's <laughs> in this because it sort of just seems a bit dog shit. Um, don't really know who the fuck bought this, but enough people did it for it to go to number one for two weeks. Interesting, you mentioned um, Def Leppard and the Happy Mondays, but in 1987, three... Australian bands, count them three, the Party Boys, um, Exploding White Mice, don't know who the fuck they are, and the Shantuzies, each released their own cover of He's Gonna Step On You Again. Party Boys peaked at number one, um, while the Shantuzies reached number 36. Now, for those people that don't know the Shantuzies, um, fantastic name, but it also featured David Rain, um, who left... James Rain's brother. Yeah, um, they had a weird lineup. Is it like they four, did? Was it four women and absolutely one man? right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no one will remember anything about them because they were objectively terrible. But uh, <laughs> David Rain, they had probably had one song. I can't yet. remember. What but it was. we'll find out. We'll do the research for next week. I think um, I'm getting them confused with the Eurogliders. <laughs> probably. But um, David Rain quit. Um, Obviously, Shantuzzi's for a hosting spot on Getaway. And one of the female members you mentioned um, was Toddy Goldsmith. Sure. Who went on to host Sex Life. And Um, also feature on uh, the Daryl Summer Show. The Daryl Summer Show (laughs) in a hot tub. So, exactly right. She did do that. I feel like she was forced into that. Pretty weird. But, hey, Daryl, not creepy in any way. So, there you go. Um, Yeah, look, Party Boys, 18,000 on Spotify. That's a lot. That is a lot. I would assume all of the other bands we mentioned, including the fucking Chantuzies, would probably have more than that. I've got a feeling that some that this song probably just is in like a playlist, like sort of yeah. Oz Rock from the eighties playlist. Sure. So they get eighteen thousand listens. Passive listens is what yep. I call them, where people haven't selected this. That's probably actually an industry thing. I didn't make that up. Where it's just in a, in a playlist, comes on, so they get the listens just because of the fact that it's in there. 87 cents on Discogs. Don't waste your money. Go and, go and buy a twirl or something. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. One thing uh, slightly interesting I found lyrically with this, I uh, the lyrics initially don't seem to make a great deal of sense, especially when Sean Ryder's mumbling them through a haze of ecstasy and crack cocaine. <laughs> but uh, I had to... Jo- this is originally by a guy called John Congos, or Congos, which is a band, also the name of his band, Congos. He was a white South African dude, but I'm thinking that this was actually a sneaky sort of 1979 anti-apartheid song mm. used before the West started making them. Did you get that? I, I had to list, I had to sort of filter it through that. But it sounds like a dude warning people that the man is going to come and make them forget that they're a man or a woman 
e.g. take their license away from them here. It says like the lyrics of things like, hey, Rainmaker, come away from that man. You know, he's going to take away your promised land. Hey, good lady, he just want what you got. You know, he'll never stop until he's taken the lot. Mm. It seems to be a sort of sneaky anti-capitalist, anti-colonialism thing, which is a surprisingly, yeah. you know, it's sort of, it's, it's 79, but yeah, it doesn't sort of fit into the 80s thing. Like it's, yeah. I don't think the party boys were considering apartheid when they I don't the think so probably. either, but it's just find it interesting Maybe. because like this is that's like seven years before bloody live aid, you know. Yeah, and absolutely. the best thing they could come up with for Africa was do you know do they know it's Christmas or whatever? And this absolutely. is just directly saying, Don't talk to white people because they're gonna steal all your shit. Which is, <laughs> Which I is think a, fair enough. A much more <laughs> useful probably message for the people who were suffering from the famine. But Absolutely, anyway. absolutely. So anyway, um, yeah, look, if you're going to listen to something on Spotify, go listen to the original and blow this if shit off. If you have to, yep. yeah. Absolutely right. Or the Happy Mondays version. Or yes. the Def Leppard one. All right. <laughs> okay, quickly move on. Which <laughs> is why the, um, the lyric, everyone's doing a brand new dance now, um, not, not really accurate. factually accurate, no. is it? So... Everyone was probably doing a new dance in 1962, but um, look, it's 25 years later. So if you're doing the locomotion in 1987, it's hardly a fucking new dance. Should we explain who Kylie is in case this, given that this was the, the song that got her up onto any sort of stage, really? Oh, look, I guess everyone knows, but just in case they don't, Tom, who is Kylie Minogue? Oh, just what? Who was she? She, her sister was initially, her sister was like a creepy. For American listeners, she was on a show called uh, Young Talent Time, which was along the lines of his sort of Mouseketeers kind of one kid, of those kids creepy kids singing dancing shows. And then, as she was getting sort of to be a teenager, her sister uh, came out, and then you know she was sort of announced. And at first, people thought, "Oh, she's going to be you know she's yeah. like trying to follow in her sister's footsteps." But then she ended up on a soap show called Neighbours. And then, yeah, you know, of course, like every single person who was on Neighbours and Home and Away, she wanted to have a legitimate musical career. Some of them, like Bruce Samazan, went on to be world famous, <laughs> but most of them, like Guy Pearce, ended up falling by the wayside. And yeah, and even Kylie had to struggle along for a long time. I think even like, you know, I think part of her, you know, Success eventually was owed to, you know, A, not doing shit that Stockache and Warnham told her to. But also, she there's a certain credibility to get in the musical world just for hanging around producing new work indefinitely long enough. I think they yeah. call it Yankovic syndrome. <laughs> but, like, eventually people will start taking you seriously if you just do just stuff for it. 20 years. Then eventually they'll just grudgingly accept that you're not going anywhere. And, yeah. Absolutely. In this case, combining that with not working with fucking stock ache and water anymore, and then you know people start to like her stuff. Oh, definitely. And look, I think um, yeah, as you said, you you pretty much explained her sort of history that started off in Neighbours, which was obviously an incubator for such you know hot talent as Holly Valance, etc. But um, yeah, sort of. I guess yeah, this this was her first single and first yes. number one, and then she went on to have various. Hits and misses over the years, I guess. I mean, things like the previously mentioned Better the Devil You Know were hits in the sense of being on the UK top 40, but not really outside that, you know, 
Yeah, and look, I'm not. We're not shitting on Kylie. I think she's a great performer, and she's got a lot of hits. It's just that I think a lot of people have a bit of nostalgia for this era, <laughs> locomotion, <laughs> some of the '80s stuff, and it's fucking garbage. Every <laughs> single song is just terrible. Sounds flimsy. Sounds real bad. She's not the strongest singer either. Like I think, no. probably as she gets older and sings a bit more, she gets a bit better, or she sort of realizes where her, her voice sort of are. is. Her strengths are. Yeah. It's not this. The video clip to this fucking garbage. Um, look, I don't know. Look, I guess after her, because she started as an actress, obviously. Um, yeah. On well, of sorts, on Neighbours. One of the world's best. <laughs> Oh, look, I know that Street Fighter was only a moderate success, but, um, you know, earned $70 million in the US, pretty good. Um, but I believe in the Washington Post, one of the reviewers said Kylie Minogue is, quote, the worst actress in the English-speaking world. Well, is I, that fair? I think that's unfair. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, Madonna had released several films at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, I mean, in Street Fighter, you know, she totally outacts Van Damme. She does. Although yeah. he is admittedly outacted by the stealth boat in that film. <laughs> I think it was possibly because he was doing about a pound of coke a day, oh, so that no might doubt. have had something to do with it. But yep. if it helps with anything, it wasn't his acting. But yeah. Have they made a good film out of a video game yet, apart from Super Mario Brothers? As a bit of a nerd, I would have to say no. No, yep. they have not. It's kind of the way... I sometimes say that it's sort of like the way uh, it was with comic book movies 30 years ago. Like, nobody in any position to make a comic book movie was a comic book fan. Yep. So, until someone who was in the position to A, direct a film, and B, actually gave a shit about comic books came along, they were just all complete ass. So, the same things, you know, we're going to have to wait for a director who's really into video games to come along, I reckon, before anyone will actually make one. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, I I doubt it will involve uh, the Street Fighter (laughs) franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Apart from anything else, just looking, even... if you had fight, if you had the most basic knowledge of video games, you would look at Street Fighter and go, "Well, this has got eight characters from all over the world. There's no way this is going to work as a movie yeah. anyway. You're going to spend the whole film introducing weird, pretty racist characters." Oh, look! I don't think it did work. It sucked. Um, Kylie was pretty bad in this. The whole thing was terrible. The stealth um, boat was quite good. Stealth boat was good. Um, what is better, Street Fighter the movie or Locomotion? God, I would say, uh, <laughs> well, Street Fighter the movie contains Raul Julia's final performance, and yep. he really gives it a hundred and ten percent. It's yep. like watching a, a tin of spam fifty thousand feet high roll over and crush Van Damme. Yeah. So, you know, on that sense, I'd say, yeah, that. You heard it here first. Street Fighter the movie is better than this song. Also, I can't even remember what the theme song of Street Fighter the movie was, but oh, clearly geez, it know. was not as memorable as fucking Locomotion. But no, yeah. no. Have you got any lyrical highlights from this? Well, or any, these were, anything else? Yeah. I mean, there's two options here. Firstly, you know, lyric-wise. Um, one is that Little Eva knew... Back in 1962, what the Bengals had forgotten by 1987, which is that <laughs> if you're going to describe how to do a dance in your song, you're going to need at least three full verses to describe the moves properly, yep. which is what she does. And she lays out all of the moves through the song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or 
option two, it's 1962 and you can't mention sex in any way, so instead you're going to have to pretend you've invented a dance and aren't just spending three verses describing how you're hoping Friday night will pan out. <laughs> so what do you think of those two options? Oh, I think option two, I reckon option two is more interesting, but it does get a bit worrying when she says things like, now that you can do it, let's make it a chain now, or my little baby sister can do it with ease. Jesus. So, you know... Problematic, perhaps. <laughs> Problematic, but not cancelable, no, I would absolutely. say. We've only had to cancel three people this year, yeah, which makes true. it a fairly low a scale. Low Unless cancel we're cancelling Stockache and Warpman no, just we, for we sucking are, shit. dog shit. But um, yeah, look, there could be more to come. Who knows? Um, to answer your question, Tom, um, the Street Fighter soundtrack, the song Street Fighter, um, <laughs> performed by Ice Cube. <laughs> Jesus. Um, How did I forget that? Uh, okay. I've not heard this. I couldn't <laughs> tell you anything about it. Um, also on the soundtrack, Straight to My Feet, performed by MC Hammer. So, oh, wow. Sounds like all oh, hang on. The Is there biggest... a, Do I spy an LL Cool J song? LL Cool J's on there, Life As. So, yep. All Christ. the finest rappers of the day, I think, are on Angelique there. Yep. I suppose they had music, I suppose they had money to throw around. Yeah. It's a street fight performed by the BUMS. NAS, the Bums. The so, Far Side. Oh, yeah, there? It's, everyone's on there. Oh, so, look, it yeah. sounds pretty good. So, absolutely. <laughs> Um, look, the, might have to look into that soundtrack. Absolutely. Look, five point seven mil on Spotify for Kylie doesn't surprise me. She's no. got a lot of hits. This just isn't, you know, for me one of them. Um, four dollars forty four. That's outrageous. They, maybe because it was her first single. Maybe they, maybe didn't, they didn't just make press many. Maybe they know, didn't make yeah. that that many. Yeah, exactly. That surprised me. I thought I thought this would be like a two center, but four dollars forty four. I um, think also. Possibly, even by comparison with Want to Dance with Somebody, fucking Let's Go Back to My Room. Yep. Even compared to Respectable, this isn't a particularly good dance song. No. It's too old and cheesy and dumb, even to pass muster. You'd have to do a bloody remix to make this really danceable. You know, it might have been good in 1962. Yeah, exactly. But it's just, it really, you know, it's vaguely catchy. She's vaguely cute. Yep. It's got bright colours in the video. That's it. That's all the appeal of it. Yeah, look, this came out um, when I was a child. Um, I remember thinking it was shit at the time. Yes, me too. Um, me just too. Remember going, and I was not very was, old. So no, to I wasn't go, very old. I was like, like, where's Danny on like, you know, young talent time? <laughs> Do people like this? this I wanted is, to hear her cover terrible. of, you know, The Heat is on the Street exactly. know, by Glenn Frey. I don't want to hear this dog <laughs> shit. For sure. So, look, don't listen to this. It sucks. Um, moving on. Um, that was for seven weeks as well, Christ might I add. Okay. So people are fucking morons. Um, up next for another seven weeks, can Good you morning. believe this time, from the 28th of September is Los Lobos with La Bamba. Ah, another movie song. Not now, many this year. That's only yeah, our second this that's year. That's true. So if you don't know what this is, this is the theme from the uh, major motion picture of the same name. La Bamba. Which was the story of Richie Valens, Absolutely. who I don't know much about, but it's a rock biopic of sorts. So Yeah, yeah so I, I guess um, Richie Valens um, famously, I guess, passed away, died uh, in a plane crash. He was on the plane with... So there was the plane with, with Richie Valens, um, like Chubby Checker. And some other cunts. <laughs> oh, was it Buddy Holly? I'm not sure. They Who was on that plane? plane Who was on that no, plane? Buddy Holly was... Yeah. That was the day the music died. Oh, damn it. Now I'm going to yeah, have to check. Yeah. Look, it's... it's um, 
Yeah. The Labumba film effectively tells the story <laughs> of lame. I should know that. Of Richie Valens. Yep. Um yeah. And yeah, I guess effectively And who plays him, would you say? Oh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Fresh off the back of Young Guns. Fucking hell, yeah, absolutely. Like, Actually this may even be This predates Young Guns, young guns oh, yep. Yeah. So look, this is probably his uh his finest role. Um L D P as I call I'm him. I'm hoping um, Young Guns is gonna make an appearance as we move oh, forward. Look at Will Tom, I, <laughs> I can guarantee it will. But yeah, so Lou Diamond Phillips plays the Bumba. Um, plays plays, <laughs> no, his name's Labumba, mate. That's his, that's the name. He plays the title character, Labumba. What's your name, Labumba? So yeah, so yeah, a bunch of people die in a plane crash. This is the theme song. Um, was this the major motion picture event of 1987? Well, it must have been pretty popular because I remember every kid in school trying to sing this, despite the fact that you know. Uh, so it was enough to be played at barbecues for years. Afterwards, yep. despite the fact that none of us knew who the fuck Richie Valens was or presumably had seen the film or would have had any idea what we were looking at, even if we had watched it. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And also, <laughs> this was pre-internet, so the only way to find lyrics at this time was to be at someone's house, find this in their music collection, get it out and hope it had the lyrics inside the inlay yeah. of the cassette, which I did at one point. And then I found them and it didn't help because it turned out they were in Spanish. Yeah, which absolutely. is the reason that I couldn't tell what anyone was saying apart exactly. from La Bamba. But not a lot of foreign language number ones, I think, as no, we sort of mentioned no, previously. It's pretty so, rare. So this like is pretty good. 99 Luftballons, I think that Luftballon, that was one of the ones we mentioned. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're interested, I can at last present the English translation if you oh, want please. to know. Please, please. Okay. <laughs> to dance the Bamba. Yep. To dance the Bamba. You only need a little bit of grace, a little bit of grace for you and me and up and up. For you I will be, for you I will be, for you I will be. Bam ba bum ba, bam ba bum ba, bam ba bum ba, bam ba Good. I'm not a sailor, I'm not a sailor, I'm a captain, I'm a captain, I'm a captain. Firstly, good to note that the translation of bumba is bumba, so Absolutely. the song is called The Bumba. Yep. Um, yeah, seven weeks for that, seven... Weeks. Look, Tom, it's safe to bum. say if that was in English, no one would have given a flying fuck about that. No. It's the fact that it was in Spanish and people were just like, oh, it sounds exotic. Once you translate it, yeah, it's awful. Dumb as shit, yeah. Dumb I mean, it was shit. kind of catchy, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, another question is that I... Well, I don't think Richie Valens was Spanish. Oh. So I'm sounding increasingly like he just heard this song when he was on holiday and went, that, oh, probably. I'll, have that. I'll have to rewatch the film, Tom, <laughs> and see what happens in there. So there apparently it seems thing. like bamba is just a nonsense word that means a type of dance or a boogie or something, yeah. like a samba or a whatever. Absolutely. Know. But yeah, look, seven weeks for that. It's um, like theme song. five. Oh, it is, it. yeah. Look, it was a big hit, but look, you know, I think um, when you look at the other films from that year... Is this film, Ooh. is La Bamba better than Beverly Hills Cop 2, <laughs> Fatal Attraction, <laughs> Platoon, Three Men and the Baby, The Untouchables, The Secret of My Success, Lethal Weapon, The Witches of Eastwick, Predator, Dragnet, <laughs> Dirty Dancing, Robocop, Outrageous Fortunes, The Living Daylight, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Crocodile Dundee, Full Metal Jacket, or Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Mm, you see... Oh, Is it better, better than any of those? <laughs> Dream Warriors, yes. Well, I was thinking... Which had a better theme song than La Bamba. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, that would be uh, The Dream Warriors by Whitesnake. <laughs> Fucking uh, yes. But 
circling back to your original comment at the start, that's what people were doing culturally in 87. In case you're wondering, they were all at the movies watching some sick-ass stuff, including Question of Taste, The Bumba. Yeah. If The Bumba's up, you know, your alley, so to speak, then perhaps you were absorbing that. But I probably would have been at Beverly Hills Cop to actually, who am I kidding? I was at Three Men and a Baby. Three Men and a Baby, yeah. thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Well, I thought, if only they made a sequel to this. I hope they perhaps do. Perhaps featuring a song. <laughs> featuring a song by Boy Meets Girl. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd be good. So, absolutely. Look, um, Robocop didn't have a theme. Maybe it needed to. Maybe they needed sort of a, I don't know, yeah. you'd get on the phone to someone. I'm not sure who. I think the theme was mostly the sound of people screaming and blood splattering absolutely. across walls yeah. for about 20 minutes. They should have got Kenny Loggins and just said, bro, yes. can you whip something up for yes. Robocop? Something dystopian. Absolutely, because you know. seven weeks of this, I feel like one of those other films, Predator as well, I think they could have got a theme song there. Lethal Weapon, I it's don't know. It's pretty just, weird, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's not even like, despite what the stupid name would suggest, suggest yep. the Bumba, in this sense, is not actually a dance. So it's not like people were listening to this grooving along to a Macarena style beat mm. going, well, this is embarrassing, but we can do it for a few weeks. Absolutely. It's just people, I guess, they just thought it was catchy enough to go la la bumba. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it still um, plays at tedious people's weddings, you know? Oh, yeah, fucking idiots. If you're at a wedding and someone puts on la bumba, just go home. Oh, and it, it also shit. goes without saying, this is not an original song. No, either. no, absolutely. In the, in the film, it's performed by Lost Lobos, by the way. Who have done sweet fuck all subsequent yeah, to this. Not They're Lou definitely Diamond wanting films. one of Oh, um, I'm sure they've done stuff in oh, Spain. I'm sure they in do. In Spanish, but you know. Well, they've got 1.7 mil on the Spotify, so that to me indicates that sure. yeah, they've definitely yeah. got some other hits somewhere. Um, 26 cents you can purchase this for. Overpriced. Oh, I'd say so, absolutely. But um, look, I think... Looking at, at Lou Diamond Phillips, probably, this is probably in the top three for me. So I'll reel them <laughs> off for you, Tom, just in case you want to know. Uh, La Bamba, um, then obviously uh, Young Guns 2, which is obviously <laughs> way better than the sequel. Uh, sorry, the original. And then um, Bats. Have you seen Bats? Um, I've seen Bats. Oh, it's fantastic, Tom. <laughs> the premise is a hostile swarm of genetically mutated bats terrorize a local Texas town. And it's up to a zoologist who teams up with a sheriff to exterminate the creatures before they take lives. I see. see. Um, Lou Diamond Phillips uh, plays the cop. um, And it's fantastic. I tell you what. Do you reckon at some point someone yells out, this is batshit crazy? (laughs) I think they do. I hope they They do. They do. They do. Look, if you enjoy Hitchcock, the birds, you will love bats. (laughs) That's my review. Um, I'm personally a huge fan of his performance in a film that I thought was rad in about 1997, but he's extremely badly dated now which is the big hit Uh, he's hilarious in that otherwise rather dog shit and extremely racially questionable film is he a cop in that? no (laughs) he's a he's the bad guy but he's one of those bad guys who's kind of best mates with the hero and kind of like the likeable he's far more likeable than Mark Wahlberg he kind of stares vaguely into the distance and scratches his abs like yeah no that's that's my my favourite of his performances I'll check that out um (laughs) Um, You watch Bats, Tom, I'll watch that, and then we'll compare notes next week. Sounds good. Um, All right, so seven weeks more of that. Then up next, uh, 16th of November, uh, Ice House Electric Blue. Ah, look, you know, it's got to be the best song named after a range of VHS softcore pornography cassettes, (laughs) I think, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, It'd be at least in the top five, you know. Definitely. I assume assume that's where they got the name. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Look, is there a better Australian band than Ice House? There might be, um, <laughs> but 
I've always said a man who's tired of Great Southern Land is a man who's tired of life. It is a good song. I'm a, I'm a big Great Southern Land fan. Yep. Don't get me wrong. Ice House have been ruined for me slightly by listening to a radio show once in which a uh, person who talked to one of the hosts who was from Ireland and who chanced upon an Ice House like reunion concert yep. uh, asked the, one of the hosts, who's this? And he said, oh, it's Ice House. And he said, every song sounds like the feckin' Baywatch team. And now, whenever I hear Ice House, I cannot help but think that all their songs do, in fact, sound like the feckin' Baywatch theme. But they were around before the Baywatch theme. They were. So I'm thinking that if anyone, whoever composed the Baywatch theme, I'm assuming it's called I'll Be There, uh, got it from Ice House. Ripped off Ice House. So it's the... The pot calling the kettle black. Look, I've not heard that comparison, but, you know, look, I imagine that the Baywatch theme was obviously ripped off from somewhere. I can't imagine, (laughs) you know, someone originally composed that, but that's a cracker of a song, the Baywatch theme, so I quite enjoy that. Um, But look, yeah, I think that this is a good song. Um, I really enjoy some of the big Ice House hits, Great Southern Land, as I mentioned before. This one, Crazy is another one you got to be crazy baby oh, to like a guy course. like me yeah yep um and yeah crazy's cra- the crazy i think is also from around this era didn't quite make it to number 1 not sure in that video clip he's wearing a red leather duster which is <laughs> fuck so sick that's and, got to come oh, back jesus surely. christ i wish i had one it's fantastic oh in fact sorry i've just peeked ahead that was this year that and it was number 4 was it number yeah, 4 okay. i was i was looking for um the other one um, that you just mentioned, Great Southern Land, yeah, because that a few years earlier, been, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a little bit surprised earlier, yeah. that didn't get to number one. Like, very surprised. That's the kind of thing that shows up on Aussieist, Aussie rock, Aussie rock barbecue Definitely. dad songs of that's, the era. That's you know, a quintessential Australian song, it Great is. Southern Land. I think it's this this one isn't that, as yeah. big, uh, obviously, no. but still pretty good. Um, this was co-written by John Oates from Hall and Oates. You, We've talked it, yes. about Hall and Oates before. Those guys don't fuck around. No, John so. Oates has got a pretty impressive catalogue, as long as, as long as well as writing a lot of you know Hall and Oates songs. Obviously, yep. he wrote "I Can't Go for That," which yes, is famously <laughs> featured in one of the funniest things that's on Mighty Boosh. If you could be bothered, <laughs> but he also wrote "Dangerous" for the Yin Yang Twins feet Wycliffe Jean. Uh, wow, you know, or however you pronounce that. Dickhead's name. That's fantastic. And we yeah. also and we mentioned Man Eater last week. I think, oh yes, that was another one of his. Ago, yes, so. the best song about eating men. Yeah, exactly. So that's pretty good. Um, look, Ivor Davies has one of the best mullets oh, in this video look. clip. It is. It is sort of. It's peak eighties. Peak eighties. It's sort of. It's. It's probably. I think it's definitely permed. It's pretty long. The video <laughs> I didn't clip watch this, the video. This I should have done that for no, my watch. But yes, I just take it as red. That he's take it as red. Yeah, on, they're on top. Mark. They're on a top of a roof on a building somewhere. Uh, okay. I think he's wearing. He's not wearing a red leather duster in this one, but he's definitely wearing a trench coat. I think of some probably denim or some other pleather type material. Looks pretty sick. Um, the drummer I think does have the. I don't know whether they're hexagon, but they're definitely those like electric <laughs> oh, they drums. Been, so. yes. Yeah. But yeah, this is pretty good. I like this. Ice House only have seven hundred thousand monthly listeners, which is a bit on the low side. But I don't think they really broke out of Australia. Honestly, no. maybe some sort of like top. 10, 20 hits, maybe one, mm. maybe this one in, I think this or Crazy was like one of their biggest songs in yeah. the US, but um, I think yeah. Great Southern Land might have been a minor hit. It was around the time of that era that we talked about 
earlier, the early 80s period when Australia was briefly fashionable in America. Yep. And so Australian bands would write very, you know, straightforwardly about being from Australia, you know, yep. your Australian crawl, your solid rock era type stuff. So, yeah, but I think, you know, it was a short-lived era and I'm not sure how much of an impact they made, but they are very well known in Australia. Absolutely. So 44 cents for this. Um, I think that's a deal. Go pick that up. Um, and yeah, if you want to check something out on YouTube, which I think is pretty fun, not this video clip, but there's two video clips for their other song off this album, Crazy. Oh, okay. One of them is an American clip, which is sort of kind of boring. But the other one, the Australian video clip, <laughs> it's one of those all-in-one take video oh, clips really? where he's walking through a building site. I quite like those. So, so it's all one take through a building site. What? He's got a red leather duster <laughs> on, which is sick. And it's just like things getting demolished. You know, people oh, on motorbikes okay. driving past. All one take. That's pretty sick. Pretty cool for 87. <laughs> um, so check that out. Yeah, and just, you know, the mullet flows or only jumps off sort of one <laughs> bit of the building onto something else. So, yeah, good times. Lyrics are kind of esoteric, but not that weird. Just yep. language-wise, like, straightforwardly, really. It just sounds like he's, yeah, yeah, like things like, I just freeze every time you see through me and it's all over you. Electric blue. I always wondered what it was in that. It's all, yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing it's a can of blue paint. Yeah. Or possibly an avalanche of dropped pornographic VHS tapes. I mean, really, it both. just sounds like he saw a hot chick with blue eyes. Absolutely. Possibly in a pornographic VHS tape. Yep. I mean, we've all been there. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. And look, what is a better. Look. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, take a time machine back to 1987. Whatever house you're standing in, go to where the dad's bed is and look under it, and there's be an electric blue <laughs> tucked back. Could you find those at Video City, or were they sort of? Um... You couldn't find them at Blockbuster. Okay. I'll tell you that. You had to go a little bit further out. Fair enough. Um, look, electric in the title. We've done the boom sort of comparison before. What's the better song, Electric Blue or Electric Dreams? <laughs> Together in Electric Dreams. Ooh. I think... Which is around this era as well. Electric Blue's a bit more grounded. Yep. um, In as much as it's about two humans that are possibly into each other as opposed to a sentient Commodore 64 (laughs) that's trying to buy (laughs) your lunch and cut cut a man's grass. Yep. But... um, yeah. What do you think? Oh, look, I like. I think this is probably the better song. But um, yeah, if you've not seen the Electric Dreams film, what <laughs> effectively, Tom, I think as you've sort of pointed <laughs> out, a man spills like a bottle of water onto a Commodore sixty four, and the computer mm. effectively comes alive. Yes, it's something along those lines. Like some, whatever was maybe it was a, a nice sparkling wine, a champagne, <laughs> but something was spilled on the keyboard, and that sets the cu- computer alive. It just, yes. which is how it works in real life. Don't spend any spill no. any beverages on your actual computer; it will come alive. And then it uses, um, uh, sorry, quote, modem, <laughs> dial-up modem, is that right? And the computer starts trying to hit on the dude's girlfriend. Yes. So Not just hit on her, but I believe it actually becomes like uh, Bobby Gardner-style, you know, a stalker. stalker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It sure. was kind of a poor man's uh, weird science. 
Absolutely. Which is yeah. pretty poor. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the sentient computer films yeah, of yeah. the 80s, I would say it ranks fairly low. It's well below um, war games and weird science, I think. Absolutely. So, but that song is weirdly catchy, and it's got a lot of, because we're hearing it through the voice of the computer, it's got a lot of those synth, yeah. pioneering synth effects of which we spoke before, which makes it a bit more fun than Electric Blue, possibly. Definitely. And look, I think it's based on real life, so <laughs> if you don't want your MacBook Pro to steal your girlfriend, don't Do steal not pour champagne on that's it. pretty much that's right I guess that's you know that everyone knows that though so there you go alright so one, only one week for that but that's fine coming up next um, 23rd of November for one week as well um, another Australian one Jimmy Barnes Too Much Ain't Enough Love mm. Barnsy now Barnsy is a member singer of obviously you know he, he's done Cold. so much stuff Cold Chisel yep. Cold yep. Chisel is what he's obviously most famous for K-San Big hit. Yeah, I think they were still around at this time, so he must have been doing his own side yep. stuff too. So I think he sort of exactly went went solo as well as performing with the band. Um, I, I don't know whether this is his... I think well, probably is his first number one hit because we've not talked about him before, have we? So no. I gather this is his first solo number one hit. We may have some hit. more coming up, or maybe they were slightly more niche than they seem. You yeah, know? absolutely. Now, look, for me, Tom, this song... I think it's a little bit problematic um, because the lyrics are too much ain't enough love to satisfy me. Mm. Now, you, I don't think anyone themselves, it it makes no sense to say to yourself, too much ain't enough love to satisfy me. Someone else must be saying to you, it's too much love. And then you're saying, well, it's not enough to satisfy me. That's the only way, it's the only way it works. So someone's saying to Jimmy, Look, this is too much love, and he's saying, well, it's not enough to satisfy me, which I think, is this the only number one song you can think of that's about marital rape? Uh, I think it's just this and Sweat a la 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 long. Those two, which was about marital rape and genocide Okay. Well. well, that one's a little bit more problematic. But yeah, look, it, it, to me it sounds like Jimmy Barnes's partner, wife, girlfriend, whoever, has said to him, look, it's too much love, i.e., banging it's too much deep dicking Mm. and he's just went well it's not enough to satisfy me he's proceeding anyway and look the alarming thing about this is that i guess does that mean that one or more of the tin lids was born as the result of a non-consensual sexual encounter well it would have explained a few things but i mean you know (laughs) look not well versed enough in the tin lids well the the tin lids the tin lids of jimmy barnes or at the end of in the, in the area of marital break. No, no, nor am I. But I'm just looking at those lyrics and just saying, look, <laughs> I don't know, mate. Someone, I mean, someone's yeah. saying it's too much and he's saying it's not enough. So, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Do we cancel Jimmy or is, do we give, Do we just sort of, you know... I'd give him one more chance because, you know, these lyrics are, yeah, they're not great. Well, absolutely. I mean, in le- you know, you're not quite sure about where this one fits. Is it like, okay, am I just reading too much into this? But, you know... <laughs> Just seems like yesterday I was running alone. I turned mm. my back on love, but baby, I was wrong. Do I miss your touch? Do I tell myself a lie? Can't get enough when I'm lying by your side. In the middle of the night, I cry. Too much and enough love to satisfy me. 
Where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm, yeah, Where see, there's smoke, there is fire, Jimmy. I yeah, think that's correct. when it comes to certain allegations that people have leveled at you, Well, yeah, exactly. Think, okay, well, we're making an Australian hero sound like a total rapist. So maybe maybe we should give him the benefit of the doubt until his next single comes oh, out. Look, for legal purposes, Tom, I'll give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. And also... Oh, I just don't is... want you to get stabbed to death by an army of bogans. No, who... look, this is it's just a song as well. Like, I don't, it's probably not based on reality. It's just, you know, having a bit of, you know, it's just sort of me looking at those lyrics going, I don't know, there's something maybe untoward about this, but they're probably quite innocent. It's probably just well, I mean, fine. I think, ironically, you're making hilarious uh, jokes here, but um, I think possibly, you know, the fact that his lyrics did, and even and with Cold Chisel as well, that he did have a kind of raw, rougher edge yep. is one of the reasons why he was so beloved by... For instance, working class men who he sang about in his songs, but did not make as much headway overseas. Yep. In the same way that someone like Bruce Springsteen, his whole shtick is so tied so closely to, you know, New Jersey, the working class people where he lives, mm. that people will love him overseas, but he's never going to be a giant international, he was never going to be a huge international you know, yes. sensation the way Michael Jackson was, or, you know, a rock star with a kind of no, you know, a national agenda. And Jimmy Barnes, like, even stuff like this, he can't even write a love song without, you know, using hard definitive statements about how I'm going to have to dump you because I, you know, I can't handle not having enough love. I lie crying in the middle of the night, you know. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, he was just a bit too rough. Also, it always sounds like he's screaming through... 15 Winnie Blues every time he's singing. Absolutely, you know. absolutely. But look, an Australian legend, I don't want to say anything bad about him. And a total uh, pisshead as well. Oh, absolutely, He used to sure. just drink a bottle of vodka on stage every night. Yes. Yeah. So the fact that he's still alive, I appreciate that. It's so, impressive, so really. Very, very impressive, yeah. absolutely. Um, but given this song, should he change his name to Jimmy Bones? <laughs> I think so, yes. I think yeah. that's the least dodgy thing we could say about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Tom, interestingly, here's something you might not know. But did you know that Jimmy Barnes is actually um, Princess Diana's grandfather? <laughs> did you know that? I did not know that. No, no exactly. So there's, ro- very, there's royalty involved. So yeah, very, very big. This is breaking now. Uh, not really <laughs> sure. breaking. But so in 2019, um, David Campbell, who is Jimmy Barnes' son, yeah. I believe is on like one of the tin leads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's on like TV or some <laughs> shit. Um, he claimed his four-year-old son, Billy, was the reincarnation of Princess Diana. Wow, okay. So it's a big claim, the, but... The reincarnated and gender-swapped yeah, exactly. Princess Diana. So apparently the son just started oh. sort of saying things like, oh, you know, I, f- I feel like, a, like you know, oh... He, I think he'd see something on TV and be like, oh, that's my house. Like when it's like Princess uh, Diana's okay, house or something. Yeah. I'll say like, oh, So he's drawn I've the only like, logical I've conclusion. Got, exactly. <laughs> from that. The kids, a four-year-old the, talking the kids, a four-year-old kid who's just said some random shit. Yeah. I've got a four-year-old child, Tom, and he just says some fucking <laughs> batshit stuff. But <laughs> Who's he the reincarnation um, of? Albert Einstein. Oh, but, um, yeah, okay. For sure. sure. That's the you know, conclusion <laughs> I I've drawn. So yeah, because he, yeah, for sure. Um, or young Einstein. I'm not sure. He might be the reincarnation of Yahoo Sirius is still alive. Well, but that's big news. Very big news. So I think that's pretty good. I think if, you, if your child says a few things you're not sure of, just make the claim that they're so the that, reincarnation of Princess Diana. Jimmy... So Jimmy Barnes is Princess Diana's grandfather. Making yep. him 
Prince Harry's great grandfather. Absolutely. Wow, that's yeah, quite impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so, he got an invitation to the wedding. For sure, for sure. So if, I also hope that you know when he gets older that uh, Stephen Seagal is still around to give him some advice about being the reincarnation <laughs> of a famous figure from past history. Absolutely. So look, I think if, if Prince Philip passes away, I'd like to see Jimmy Barnes just sort of <laughs> move in with the Queen and see what happens there. Maybe they can do a duets album. Should be pretty good. So 800,000 listeners for Barnsey. Seems pretty reasonable considering, yeah, he's sort of pretty much Australian. Plus, there's yeah, the cold chisel stuff as well. He's hugely popular in Australia. I'm kind of surprised that's not a bit longer. Yeah, dollar twenty eight for this, so it breaks the dollar mark. Would have which been a small, happened. small number, probably. Absolutely right. So, um, but pick this up um, at your own peril because it is problematic, I think, <laughs> in my view. Um, that's good. All right. So one week there, last song of the year, Tom. Rounding out for the seven year. weeks. Rick Astley, never going to give you up. Oh, I haven't heard this before. Should I look at the video? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You've probably seen the first five I seconds of that it. Joke wrong, and it's times. not getting any funnier. Yeah. No, look. Um, <laughs> if you've ever been Rick rolled, you've seen this. We spoke about <laughs> yep. this five minutes ago. It's more. This, look, it's more stock Aiken and Waterman bullshit. The song. I mean, I don't understand. Do people like this ironically, or they don't like it, or? I think they like it ironically, hence the rickrolling, you yep. know, or the, I think the clue is the rickrolling. It's amusingly dorky and catchy enough to listen to 20 seconds of without wanting to throw your phone out the window. But yep. after, when you hit the 25 second mark, you're like, yeah, I think I've, like most Doc Aiken Waterman songs, you're like, yeah, I've, I've heard everything this song's got to offer. Yeah. 26 seconds, you've pressed stop. They all, they all pretty much sound the same. This is pretty, this is, yeah, look, this isn't great. Um... For I, I I guess probably Rick Rowling's probably I assume it's dead by now. So there's probably some people that don't know what the fuck we're talking about. But apparently, in, uh, so the craze started in 2007, Jeez, roughly. Apparently, that long ago. yeah. Apparently, various websites, including an uh, an online anti Scientology group. Oh, okay. They were one of the started, and a Radiohead site <laughs> purportedly posted links that resembled normal click throughs offering a new story to something. But instead, they took users, uh, people that clicked on the link to yep. YouTube, um, where they'd get rickrolled this song. So yep. it's like, oh hey, I'm on the Radiohead site. Oh, Radiohead have just dropped a new song or something. So oh sick, yeah. and then you click on the link, and then it takes you to that, and hilarity yep. prevails. So there you go. Like most That's trolls, it, it works through repetition. Yeah. Like otherwise, you could just reply to anything with a dumb video. But it has to be the same one over and over again, and hence the joke. And it's some, um, it's the fact that it's this kind of dorky, you know, it's not hilariously bad, but it's yep. also not completely characterless either. It's just got this kind of dumb flavour to it. Yeah. You know what killed it in the end? This is my theory anyway. Yeah. The advancement of technology, which means that now when you would attach any video clip to anything on any format, it brings up a fucking link. Oh, yeah, so you true. can't it has to be it's it has to be an anonymous link where you go, oh YouTube and click on it. Yeah. Like nowadays, even if you just had a blue YouTube link, as soon as your mouse pointer goes over it, it's gonna say Rick Astley YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> exactly pop yeah. up. Yeah, you try, you're right. You try putting any link into anything and it shows you what the video is going to be. There'll be a modern version, which will be something else. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But anyway, look, um, 
not much to say about the song. Yeah. It's pretty shit. This is ass. I mean, it's, I don't know how Bill many... Hicks was mocking this in 1990 and it has not improved <laughs> since then. Also, his dance moves make Mel and Kim look respectable, frankly. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say in his defence is that he was 21 when okay. this came out. Yep. So, you know, but still. But like, this was written for him, obviously, by those yeah. Stop Acting Warman guys. Yeah, it's pretty... And not only that, not only did they give him this, but lyrically, you know, I don't want to feed into any MRA stereotypes, but this is a total friend zone cuck anthem. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the lyrics like, we know strangers to love, you know the rules and so do I. Full commitment's what I'm thinking of. You won't get this from any other guy. Mm. I just want to know, tell you how I'm feeling. Got to make you understand. It's a bit like stock aching, watering can, just thought, you know, like Kylie's on holiday this weekend. Maybe we can, in the gap, we can sell a whole lot of older women on the idea of a 21-year-old blood nut virgin promising to hang around indefinitely until they get bored of their husband for a weekend or something like that. Oh, yeah, look, everything about this. Everything about this I almost feel, sorry, I hope he got some money. I found myself thinking the same thing with Kylie and with Mel and Kim. Like, you find yourself thinking, I hope they got some cash out of this at oh, least and it didn't so. just all go to fucking cock aching watering can absolutely did you know that this was directed by Simon West who also directed <laughs> Con Air did you know that Tom I'd heard a rumour about yeah, that so, what, any other films that he directed oh Expendables 2 <laughs> um, some other stuff he did a lot of great things so yeah um, look if you've never heard this song uh, I mean maybe watch the clip I don't know the best thing you've seen it the best thing about this is the fact that this guy went on to direct Con Air yeah exactly you know? but also yeah you're right the actual video itself yeah Rick Astley sort of dancing badly and looks real shit even calling it dancing is going a yeah. bit far like he's just kind of wobbling around in a trench coat in front of the same fake wall that Mel and Kim were in front of six Absolutely. months before like and the song's about how don't worry I'll just hang around here until you can be asked throwing me a bone exactly look so that's the end of the year um, some real shitters this year I think Tom yes. some real real it's shitters it's not great which um, is weird because you look at uh, the songs that didn't quite hit number one and there's some actually there's some really good songs in there um, The Final Countdown by Europe <laughs> say wow, what you like about that, that. Didn't, oh that's uh, number two it's it's you know, oh, maybe it hasn't aged that well, but it's a, it's a, it's a pump. It's an absolute banger. I think that one that mm-hmm. that still still goes pretty well. I think the final countdown. It's a cheese factory, but it's sure. high, way more enjoyable than some of this shit. Um, I want your sex by George Michael. Not sure uh, what that's yeah. about, but it's probably pretty good. Um, Suddenly by Angry Anderson. Um, wow. that's, a, that's another Australian hit um, Angry Anderson um, I think that might have been the only thing he did that got overseas play actually yeah. I think that was in a couple of you know that featured an episode of Neighbours I believe as uh, well okay. so that was but, pretty yeah. good um, Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger uh, the famous one from Risky Business that's correct I'm surprised that wasn't higher yeah, that no. was on the radio a lot and films usually get something to I remember one. watching that was when I was like nine and having no context for it whatsoever and just yep. seeing this dickhead sliding around his underpants yep. thinking, what? Is this weird? Ex- without seeing the film, it made no sense. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship. Wow. That's that another hit. That's pretty good too. Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Oh. Isn't that like one of their biggest hits? I know. Jesus, number three, that's way better. Australians yeah. weren't ready for it yet. Um, Star Trekking by The Firm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you don't know that, go check it out. Um, I suspect is it that sung, is it the, it's sung by aliens. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, is that really it's, I think it's, usually, it's either someone doing dumb voices. Or it's been like multi-tracked, so it sounds like a bunch of dumb aliens singing about Captain Kirk, and it gets faster and faster as it goes along. It's yeah. very hard to do aerobics too. Predates, back, um, I, I suspect these may have been chosen by my slightly too cool for school grade four teacher who was very good at going to roller rinks and skating <laughs> around. She was probably fucking 19 and the coolest shit out. Like, what yeah. would I know? Oh, look, we got to pour one out for the roller rink in Launceston, <laughs> which recently shut down, I believe. And everywhere, yeah, really. <laughs> which is emotional. So, um, uh, sorry, where am I up to? Bad by Michael Jackson. <laughs> to number four only got to number four it's a big hit um, proved to be quite accurate I as well he, yeah he did give us the warning didn't yeah. he yeah what's my scene by Hoodoo Gurus still gets played it's another, another it does <laughs> Pressure Down by John Farnham yep um, follow up another to... big hit Crazy by Ice House which we did talk yeah. about and Beds Are Burning by Midnight Off so it's really weird to me that the friggin that EP by yep. them was higher than Beds Are Burning. I mean, that's probably their biggest song ever Absolutely. that they ever did, and it only got to number six. Yeah, that's exactly. Weird. So I don't really know. I don't trust the Australian public at all. But um, look, there you go. So yeah, 87. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Oh, with one thing yeah, before sorry. I go. I've sorry. just realised, yep. talking about Boom Boom songs, yep. the actual best Boom Boom song is Boom 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 by John Lee Hooker. Oh... Which, as far as I know, doesn't talk about putting anything into an envelope meaning a vagina. <laughs> right. yeah. Absolutely. That's that, enough for look, me. That envelope uh, vagina metaphor is not one that's come up very often, I don't think. So, power to the out folder, there, brothers. Sorry, it was a folder. Folder, sorry, yeah, goodness me. But look, it's good to see that um, the vagina finally being compared to office stationery, I think. Mm, so, thanks, out there, brothers. happen enough. Absolutely. So we'll be back next week with uh, 1988, which is the, the our sp- it's a special um, bicentennial edition. Yes, we'll explain all of that <laughs> as much as we can. Okay. Thank you. Farewell. Bye.